Can we start the podcast already? I gotta go see a movie later. Sure. Okay. Are you can, we go? can we go? <laughs> I'm ready. Are we done? Do Are we there yet? <laughs> Are we th- Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm a bottle of pancake syrup with legs, and I'm very happy on this final episode of the Danny DeVito Direct Series to announce that we have a podcasting extravaganza. We got a lot of people, I think more than we've ever had on Cinemodities, so that's a, a first and an excellent thing. Where to start? I think I'll go with the, uh, the other single person of the group. We have Russ. You might remember him from Knights of Vader and Unbelievers. Russ, thank you for being here. Ah, oh, thanks for having me, Rob. And also from the Law and Order Special Viewing Unit, which I've been told is the official podcast for Special Victims <laughs> Unit. And you can take that to the bank. Take the blood bank, Senator. <laughs> Hi, how you doing? I'm Matt. I, I'm Aviv. Nice to uh, have you. Nice to be here on your podcast. Yes. You just recently on our podcast. Yes. yes. What a crossover event this is. <laughs> what is this, a crossover episode? <laughs> the <Yes>. Thunderdome. <laughs> The timing worked out great. Yeah, really good. Really well. <laughs> so something that we uh, always talk about at the start of these episodes when we do not have Zach with us, because as everyone heard in that intro, this is Late Night Movies with Rob and Zach. Whenever Zach is not here, we talk about, well, what's he doing? And he is off working at our restaurant. And I'm always excited to talk about this with new people on the podcast because I think Russ is aware. I'm not sure about Matt and Aviv. Uh, did you know that this podcast is not just a way for us to talk about movies and TV shows and commercials and things like that? It's actually uh, some type of board meetings where we discuss <laughs> things in the hope of improving and bettering our restaurant. Now, a few quick things. Our restaurant is in New York City. It's in Times Square. It's where Mars 2112 used to be. It is finite on the outside, but infinite on the inside. And it's okay. totally real. That's all you need to know for now. So okay. I, I don't even know if Zach is real, but in my head, he is like <laughs> developmentally delayed and running around the restaurant telling stories about when he was an old boxer. <laughs> uh, no, I'm Zach. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm Zach. I got to go take a shit. <laughs> Abusing the uh, the underpaid help at the Cinemodities restaurant. Well, actually, how, are we doing Cinemodities restaurant to start? Is no. This, is this... So so we'll, we'll get to it at the end. We have to talk about oh, how boy. this movie okay. influences the restaurant. This this restaurant sounds almost like it's in the Tommy Westfall universe, the way you've described it. <laughs> Extremely real. I mean, as vast as it is, it actually could be in Death to Smoochie, because everything in this movie is just as big as you can get. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, so to give you some context on the restaurant, that's what we said. Zach is hard at work at the restaurant, not podcasting with us. And this week, he's working on uh, some some nosy people that like to call themselves health inspectors, they started to give us some issues with one of our sauces and dips, which is made from salt, lemon juice, and mercury. 
And so they're saying okay. that some people in the restaurant have mercury poisoning, and he's arguing with them that just because the symptoms of mercury poisoning are there doesn't necessarily imply that it's the mercury. You know, lack of coordination, muscle weakness, that can come from other things. It might not be the mercury. So he's dealing with that right now. This seems like this is correlation, not causation. That's what I'm hearing right <laughs> exactly. now. Exactly. It sounds like he got, he got the wheatgrass mixed up with the mercury. That's the, the key <laughs> we should have taken away from this. So, so, yes, I think that gives a little insight to the restaurant, uh, to Matt and Aviv, and that'll come okay. back up at the end. But with that being said, I'm very excited to discuss the Danny DeVito Direct Series, our last episode, and we are discussing none other than Death to Smoochie. Before we get into the movie proper, I, I have been asking everybody that's been on this month, uh, I guess a little background for you guys. I decided to do this series not only because I love Danny DeVito and the movies he's directed, but also because a lot of the people I've talked to, they seem to not remember or not know that he actually directed movies. A lot of my friends were just like, yeah, he's in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and he's never done anything else, right? And it kind of blew me away, so I wanted to highlight that a little more. So I wanted to ask you guys, what are your histories with Danny DeVito? You have to love him, right? I think that's been our thesis of this whole month, that nobody hates Danny DeVito. <laughs> Danny DeVito just seems like one of those people that has been in a pop culture life just forever, like boring reruns of Taxi where as a kid you would give two craps about it, but you just always knew he was – and then those – I think those like Michael Douglas movies in the 80s. I don't know. He was just he was just a charming dude. The twins? I think after Twins it was over. Yeah, I think my, my first experience with Danny DeVito was also Taxi, which I watched uh, on reruns. I was a big Latka fan, um, and – and Batman Returns. Ah, uh, yes. And so I had a lot of trouble distinguishing as a child and an adult, really, um, Oswald Cobblepot from Danny DeVito <laughs> and other things. That's really funny. Um, I, you know, Danny DeVito for me, he was just, he was just one of those things that was just always kind of there. Like I can't think back of like, oh, you know, I saw this movie and I fell in love with him. I just remember. He it was just like a fixture, like in my mind. So yeah, I mean, and it was pr it was probably Batman Returns. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, God, like I I guess I fall into the category of what you were describing, Rob. Of like, I guess I was aware that he directed, but I didn't realize how many films he had directed until sure. we, we were coming on here, and I was like, oh shit, Danny DeVito directed that. Um, I haven't seen a lot of the movies that he directed, but I'm. It's just making the connection. They're like, oh shit, he actually directed that too. He's not just a you know the dude yeah. from Always Sunny or Batman things of that variety. For War of the Roses, like I know for a fact that Danny DeVito directed that movie. However, when someone says that, I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> Did people forget the term from the twisted mind of Danny DeVito? Wasn't that like the tagline that was put on so much of his stuff later? It was always the twisted mind of Danny DeVito. Like, yeah, and they and they, they they ported that over to Eli Roth later. <laughs> <laughs> Well, right on, right on. Good. I'm glad to see we're all uh, fans, and and definitely, uh, I think this whole month we've been saying that, you know, he's been a fixture in our lives forever, and he's someone we just appreciate. So the other reason I've been doing this series in particular is something I've been asking uh, a lot of people, and using this podcast as kind of getting it out into the ether. Uh, I want to ask you guys now, because I don't think I've ever said it explicitly, does anybody know where I can get my hands on or watch Hot Dogs for Gogan, Martin Brest's first short film? Would anybody, any, you don't have to answer right now. If you find a copy, though, or no Martin Brest, let me know. I really want to see it. <laughs> I would direct you to Aviv on that one. I think if anyone okay. would have an answer to that question, it would be Aviv. So Hot Dogs for Go 
you said Gogan. I said Gogan. Okay. Which m- might be your problem, ultimately. Um, <laughs> so, no. Why? Well, I have a I have a strange infatuation <laughs> with Martin Brest and his career. Because you're a big Gili fan. Uh, I everybody needs to she- see Gili. That is required watching. I think in the canon of film. <laughs> It is so bad that he has not directed a single movie since. Yes, yes. Uh, so I, I don't really like a lot of his movies, but I've seen them all except for Hot Dogs for Gauguin, Gauguin whatever we want to call it. <laughs> he, went, he went out on top. He, he, he hit his home run, and I mean, why, why go back and ruin it, you know? So I have to just read through his IMDb super quick. Beverly Hills Cop, amazing. I, Midnight oh, Run, also amazing. That I do like scent that of a, Scent of a woman. hoo not Ooh. so. I mean, okay. Meet Joe That's a Black fine film. That's not <laughs> Meet Joe Black, where someone so someone just hired me to write a screenplay, and he and we he like wanted to play this game with me, like as he was interviewing me of like, what's your top five movies? And I said mine. And he said his number three was Meet Joe Black, and I was like, what? What? <laughs> and then Geely, and that's it. Well, I believe uh, even before Beverly Hills Cop, it was Going in Style, right? Going in Style, yes. and then Hot Tomorrows before that, and then Hot Dogs for Gauguin, which was a short in yes. 72. So, like, okay. I even have a copy of Hot Tomorrows, and I really like it, so I'm only missing Hot Dogs for Gauguin. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I can't, I don't know. I can, <laughs> I can ask some folks. Rob, have you tried... Have you tried downloading a Tor browser? I'm sure there's something on the dark web that can oh, help I, you with that. I, uh, so, someone asked this earlier this series. I'll tell you what I told them. I, I had kidnapped a child. I was ready to trade it on the dark web for a copy of this movie, this 25-minute That didn't movie. work. Nope, no Damn. one has it. <laughs> Normally, stolen kids are like gold on the black market. I know. I thought I couldn't fail. <laughs> from our, what we know from our podcast, you can sell a child <laughs> to a pedophile for anything. It's a real barter economy. I think there's this uh, there's a certain chest you have to buy online. I think it has a copy inside, but it's like eighty grand, <laughs> and it's haunted. All right. Well, if anybody in the audience or here uh, ever finds a way for me to watch it, <laughs> let me know. I'm dying for it. Uh, and of course, I guess we should say Danny DeVito's in it, which is why it's it's part of this series. <laughs> sure. So uh, last week we left off with his previous film. Uh, we talked about Matilda. And between movies, we always like to do a little bit of selective history uh, for our directors. And Danny DeVito, of course, after Matilda, he's fully in the movie sphere, it seems. And just a few uh, roles I wanted to point out. Of course, he's uh, Phil Philoctetes in Disney's Hercules. He is the great, uh, wonderfully named character in Mars Attacks, Rude Gambler. That's what he's credited as. Oh, yeah. Doesn't he play multiple roles in that movie? I fucking forgot he's in that movie. Holy shit. I, I think he might, but it's, it's just, in the credits, he's just rude gambler, which I've always found very comical. <laughs> Amazing. Here's the thing. Spot on description, too. He is very rude, and yes. he is gambling. It's true. Uh, he's George Shapiro in the uh, Man on the Moon, the Andy Kaufman biopic, and many other Amazing. things. But I did want to point out, I've been waiting to get to this, in the, uh, the, the monitor scene of the first Men in Black, when uh, Will Smith is told that his like, third or fourth grade teacher was an alien and it shows all those people who are aliens, he is one of the people on that monitor. So Men in Black confirms that Danny DeVito is an alien. Oh, shoot, there you go. <laughs> that makes sense because he does seem to look, just look exactly the same for the last 30 years. Cause, <laughs> yes. I mean – I mean, I remember being a kid and being like, this dude's super old, and I'm not young anymore, and I'm like, I mean, yeah, he's super old, but he's still Danny DeVito. <laughs> yeah, he's, he looks like he's drowning slowly. 
Interesting. Okay. <laughs> it's just getting kind of like more distended and paler, gaunt. <laughs> so uh, he does have a TV appearance between Matilda and Death to Smoochie, but it's on a show called Pearl. And not surprisingly, Rhea Perlman is the lead, so his wife at the time, so of course he'd have an appearance on there. What, what was that, like 99? What show was that? 97, yeah. Oh, boy. Oof. How long That's did a that bad time. I don't even remember that. There's 22 episodes total from what I found. So one, <laughs> one season, probably. Let's not, let's not forget L.A. Confidential, yes. where he's just like the best. Oh, it, his spoiler alert, like the scene where he gets the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> I don't know why. There's something that's just great about that scene. I, I don't know why. And I like Danny DeVito, but just something about his character. I'm like, yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> right on. Very hush-hush. And uh, also this month we've been talking about his, more recently, his production company, Jersey Films. And, of course, you know, I think they win a, an award for Aaron Brockovich in 2000. They're called boobs, Ed. What makes you think you can just walk in there and find uh, what we need? They're called boobs, Ed. But I was also surprised to see that he he produced How High in 2001. Really? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I found that very surprising. <laughs> if anyone doesn't remember, that's the movie where they smoke the dead guy's ashes that makes them smarter so they can pass their entrance exams to get into college. Harvard, specifically, if I'm not yes, mistaken. Yes, yes. <laughs> not just any college, not community college. We're talking Harvard. <laughs> Smoking a man's ashes can get you into Harvard. Here's the thing. I don't want to try that, but I'm curious. I'm pretty sure there's a scene later in that movie where they don't have the guy's ashes. They just have a corpse, so they're, like, smoking his finger. Like, just the – they cut off the corpse's <laughs> finger, and they're just straight <laughs> smoking. I'm pretty sure that's that movie. That's science, yeah. You're kind of selling me on this movie. This sounds fucking insane. <laughs> so I'm a little – uh, I'm a little worried that you said this was your last Danny DeVito movie when you're clearly forgetting the 2003 classic Duplex starring Ben Stiller and Drew Barrymore. We're going to talk about that at the end. So we do a series by month, and so there are only four Mondays this month, so we did four out of the seven Danny DeVito movies, but I have watched oh. them all, and so I have some comments on Duplex at the end. I am. I was totally fucking around. No yeah. one has seen Duplex. <laughs> I was about to say, you could have just folded into some kind of Drew Barrymore month. You guys are like so, so strict with the spreadsheets about everything must go there. That's, that's, why I, that's what makes Cinematis Cinematis. Have you had a Ben Stiller month yet? You could do that. No, oh, he's no, one of my favorite yet. directors. Don't y'all do his birthday? That's Ben Affleck's birthday every oh, year. Oh, Ben Affleck, not Stiller. Sorry. <laughs> Only one of them was the bomb in Phantoms. <laughs> true, true. If you do a Ben Stiller month, have me back because I love every one of his movies and worked for his production company for one day. Oh, right, right on. Okay, Y'all, we'll Congrats. put you in the spreadsheet, Eve. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so that brings us to March twenty ninth, two thousand two, when Death to Smoochie releases. It makes eight million dollars, or a little over, on a fifty million dollar budget. Whoa. Oh, no. Oh, I didn't know that. Roger Ebert in his review says, In all the annals of the movies, few films have been this odd, inexplicable, and unpleasant. (laughs) But when when I put the feelers out for how I wanted these guests to be on Cinemodities, they all said they needed to talk about Death to Smoochie. And one of them, Matt, even said, I don't have the email pulled up, but I'm pretty sure, Matt, you said something along the lines of, I will die defending this movie as a masterpiece or something along those (laughs) lines. That sounds like Matt. 
Oh, yeah, but that's... Here's the thing. I'll, I'll take odd hills. I'll, every hill is a hill to die on, sir. So, you know what? He's just asking for it at this point. Um, so, I think... I, did you tell him, Matt? Which? Did you tell Rob our, our secret about this movie? Uh-oh. It's not a secret. N- no. Oh, I don't know. I, be- I don't believe so. So, Matt and I saw this movie together, I think possibly opening weekend it was opening weekend it was absolutely okay, in 2002 weekend. i think he did say that in the email that you saw oh, it together. I? Okay. yes I, I didn't know that was the secret though the secret. yeah that's why i was like i don't why would that be a secret it's not really a secret i was at the theater that weekend too it was actually uh me and my wife's first date was death to smoochie wow We've been together for Ooh. a long time just a couple of young crazy kids going to see death to smoochie <laughs> First date, bold choice. Yeah. I'm glad you guys have some history with it because when I was looking through Danny DeVito's filmography and picking out the the four movies we were going to do, I had always known about Death to Smoochie, but I had never seen it. So this this recording is... Really? uh, Yeah, I, I had heard about it, but I had never watched it, and I only knew about it kind of barely, that it had something to do with kids' television show hosts. And so I was, I was definitely blown away when I had all you guys saying, hey, this is the movie we want to talk about. We have so much history with it. And I was like, oh, wow, I got I to gotta catch up. <laughs> I mean, periodically there, there are certain movies come out where you're like, how is this allowed to happen? Sure. <laughs> and, the, and Death to Smoochie is definitely one of them. So I, I guess uh, the top line item after seeing it on the first viewing, and I did, I did have it on uh, uh, for a second time, kind of you know in the background trying to form some more thoughts about it. Uh, I have to say, I might be the dissenter here. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. There were some like hilarious <laughs> moments, but uh, overall, I was kind of like wanting a little more from it. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts uh, overall on the movie? I'm so torn. I, I love it, I, and I will defend it as well. And, I've, and I'm, like I've said before, I've seen it dozens and dozens of times. But, yeah, baffling at times. Some things at it, you just shake your head and, like, that was really dumb. But other parts are so great that it kind of pulls it back together in absurdity. And I think Robin Williams carries most of it for me. Unlike Matt, I have only – I don't think that I've revisited it since we saw it when we were younger. That said – I have a similar reaction where I liked it, and like in the beginning, I was like, "Oh, this has not aged super well." And then I found myself getting kind of roped in, um, not by Robin Williams' performance until the basically the very end, but as it is a a metaphor for like cancel culture and and yes. and predatory capitalism. Because Robin Williams didn't do anything that bad to get canceled. This is pre-social media. Nobody got canceled like that over just paying for kids to be on the show. That was that part didn't stand up. I was like, also, why was the FBI involved? Like, it's <laughs> I I, so so. I think that this movie is su- is like very ahead of its time, and I have a list of reasons why, but I will not list them all right now. Okay, okay. See, I fu- I fucking love this movie. Like, I look, I get it. It's I, I all the criticisms that I know people have of this movie I don't disagree with but I love the fact that it's like if you were to put this movie in black and white it's like a film noir about yes. the most absurd fucking thing you can think of which is chill like what if Barney was in the fucking mafia and you just went with that idea and you shot it at weird angles and you just fucking went for it and said I don't give a shit this is bizarre and funny and you have some of the funniest people on the screen doing shit that plays against their type which makes it even fucking funnier to me like it's like 
Is it bizarre? Absolutely. But I think that's the point. Like, it's you're dealing in a topsy-turvy world to begin with. So I, I, it, I get how it didn't connect with audiences, but I just think it's like just the idea of it is fucking hilarious. I, that's that's what I love about the movie. Yeah, I do like the kind of neo-noir absurdity of it, um, especially like we can talk about like the death of of Spinner and like, how that is handled <laughs> is like straight out of whatever the killing of a Chinese bookie or something. <laughs> yeah. Just this whole universe that exists where it's like the late night wars, but it's kid shows. As yeah. if anyone ever cares this much about any anything. Like any kid show ever had a set like that or was but, uh, is on a cover of Variety. I disagree. I think that this is like so very much a part of its time. Is this the part of the show where we get to do this or are we still in the intro? <laughs> this is we're 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 fully in just like free form okay. status now. We so, can go buckshot crazy. <laughs> so this this came out in 2002. That's not how we say that. This came out in 2002, right? Yes. And so tick, tickle me elmo, people were getting like shanked in the street in in 1996. So like six years before this where like people would commit a murder for this toy right and so i can i can draw a line from that craze to and like also obviously roping in something like barney which was a massive hit and saying like okay what if we took the most innocuous figure and made him ultra corrupt and wouldn't that be funny but it like weirdly was prescient of of something like Bill Cosby, right? Because Bill Cosby was like the most wholesome entertainer, you know. Yeah, Doctor Doctor Huxtable, and now he's in jail for the rest of his life because yeah. he's a rapist. Well, this world, there's like this uh, a lineage of of hosts that seem to either fall off the deep end or get, or reach the the heights of fame and fortune, and they can lose it all in just a second. Just one thing can I happen. Love that. Yes, Ca- capitalism, Fair. man. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm glad you bring up the uh, the the corruption aspect because I definitely got that. You know, through the whole movie, but the end in particular when Ed Norton is like about to shoot Danny DeVito, I'm like, this is mm-hmm. playing like the Batman and the Joker, like the the immovable object versus the unstoppable force. Almost, it's literally fucking. It's like you you die man. a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become <laughs> the fucking villain. I'm telling you guys, it's weirdly prescient. It works in the future for future hits. I'm telling you guys. This movie was very underrated. I hate to be so cliche and so on brand for for me and Matt, but it's it's like the movie Heat. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. I got forty five minutes on Heat. Let's do this. It's a backdoor, <laughs> it's a backdoor Heat podcast. Russ, have we you have... seen Heat? <laughs> sure. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> We're all we on board. Then. <laughs> Ed Norton is Vincent Hanna. We got. Well, no, he's clearly the De Niro character. <laughs> so okay i just did this in my head go go along with me all right so we got we got ed norton he's the de niro character by the way he just he's about to act with de niro in the score we got robin williams he's the pacino character vincent Hanna. he just acted with pacino in insomnia in insomnia yep. oh wow and so and so they're two sides of the this same is a coin. Hell of a six degrees of separation we yeah. have going on here. <laughs> They're each other in the like. He's like the 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 road that he could go down if he made different choices. If he becomes corrupt, it's a whole fucking thing, you guys. 
Yeah, I almost got to see the Batman thing. This is if Batman took anger management. There's like one throwaway line where he's like, oh, I just took anger management and I learned how to handle it. Yeah, yeah, I got ordered to take this anger management class in college, and we had to name a person who represented love and patience. I named Ricketts. And it, it, it holds him back constantly. He like His vehicle is, you know, pleasing, ch- well, I'm not going to say pleasing children in that way. I mean, it's entertaining children <laughs> safely, mm-hmm. legally. Giving them a good message, like about their stepdad's not mean. He's just adjusting. He slams the door, he stomps his feet, sends me to bed with zilch to eat. But my stepdad's not mean, he's just adjusting. And if he was and if he was uh, vegetarian, right? Or vegan. Which is also weirdly as someone who lives in Los Angeles, like very ahead of its time. Yeah, I, I have to say I loved as a as a, an original New Yorker, an ex New Yorker now, I love the fact that they go into a Nathan's and he's like, You wouldn't believe how long it took me to get them to put some soy dogs on the menu. <laughs> so so this is part this is one one moment of the movie that I remembered incorrectly because I remembered it that he brought his own soy dogs and had them put it on the spinner. Okay. I thought that's what know. it was too. I thought he just like was eating the first one and then he was going to go back for the second one later. Yeah. yeah, it looked like they just put two on for him in the morning every day. <laughs> right. And they're just going to be there for 12 hours until he gets there. Um so if this is free flowing, I'd love to talk about kind of the structure, the narrative structure of this. So this movie moves really fast like literally and figuratively literally there's like a lot of time-lapse shots yeah figuratively smoochie has his own show at 11 minutes in (laughs) yes right which is which is if it's an hour and 49 minute movie right yeah Yeah. exactly so they get right fucking to it they're not fucking around (laughs) and that's an indication that he's actually not the main character of this because he he has his own kind of narrative arc where he gets his show then he discovers that he's like a pawn and he and he figures out how to beat the system right Mm -hmm. that would be if this was actually a smoochy or what's his fucking name norman schmoopson oh uh sheldon mopes sheldon mopes Mopes. (laughs) if sheldon mopes were the main character of this movie that would be his his narrative arc right and he would like figure out how to game the system use his power for good the end credits but because he goes through like that's like almost an afterthought they're just like oh what the fuck let's just get sheldon's story out of the way so we can concentrate (laughs) on the real main character slash hero of this which is rainbow randolph Mm, interesting. Okay. He he def I think like Robin Williams definitely kind of disappears for a little bit, but it's during that portion of the movie right. when you were following Edward Norton and Smoochie. Ultimately, he's the one that's driving the story forward, which I think is interesting cuz he's not someone we identify with. No, and he's just in the shadows the entire time. I mean, leading him into everything, just screwing everything up, getting getting hit. I mean, it was like he's a get home alone level of abuse in this film. He's thrown against brick walls, and I am constantly looking for that body double. I'm like, these shots can't be that smooth, especially uh, when they're ice skating, of course. But yeah, getting thrown through the table, he gets beat up and so many times in this film. That that shot of him falling down the stairs. I absolutely, I laughed out loud because it's like, he doesn't even fall into the brick wall. It's kind of like he falls and then he tries to stand up and pushes himself into the brick wall. It's great. That's the best part of that where it's like, I don't, that, I wonder if that was improv. Like he was supposed to get into like the crash pad or something like that and he just fell short. So he's like, oh fuck. And just the fact that he runs himself into the wall, it's, it's, 
I I fucking love it. It's great. It's got great like physical comedy in it. I, this, this is and it's just an absurd concept. If you combine those two things done well, that's why I think this movie's fucking fantastic. They also let him just do whatever he wants, right? Like, <laughs> like you can see him doing alt lines. The scene where he's beating up the TV, it's clear that there was supposed to be, like, one thing. Like, you ball of felt, and then he just, like, keeps doing it and keeps giving alt lines. And someone, the DeVito or the editor, was just like, ah, fuck it, we'll just use all of them. <laughs> it was an accident. <laughs> That's that was a picture in picture. <laughs> Bastard, son of Barney! So I, I think, Russ, you said it earlier that you were uh, into Robin Williams' performance. I have to agree. I really liked him in this movie. And I, I found in my research that he got a, a Worst Supporting Actor nominee at the Razzies for this. And I don't, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. I don't, maybe right after 9-11, we weren't ready for this quite yet. I don't know what to say about stuff like that. I have to think this has had to be filming during that time, too. Maybe it's It one of was filmed or... before 9-11 because you can see a tower in one of the shots. Yep. Oh. yep. oh, shit. I didn't notice that. This is also potentially why it lost $40 million at the box office. <laughs> like, like, our kind of absurd, goofy comedy index was, like, not super no. high in 2002. <laughs> yep. Mm-mm. So uh, I, I have to mention, uh, and, and Russ, I wanted your opinion on this, being uh, from the, the Knights of Vader Star Wars podcast, uh, Robin Williams did not win that Razzie. He lost to Hayden Christensen for episode Hell two. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this was the summer of the clones. Yeah, which clones, we deserved. I, uh, we must have been late for a showing. No, I don't think they were in the theater at the same time, but yeah. <laughs> right on, right on. Great times. couple other small notes from the first act. Danny DeVito loves, like, mounting a camera on a Frisbee. Yes. So he did that in this. He did that in War of the Roses. And Tim Burton does that with a Batarang in Batman Returns, which also stars Danny DeVito and Vincent Schiavelli. Yes, that's right. Stars stars is a bold word, but yeah. <laughs> sure. I, I definitely picked up on the uh, the, th- the frisbee throwing, the camera on that, because uh, we did War of the Roses two weeks ago. And, you know, watching this, I was like, oh, yeah, there's that shot from War of the Roses. Last week on Matilda, there's like some chandeliers falling. And I'm like, OK, he's, he's doing what he knows from War of the Roses. <laughs> yeah. um, they also do that shot in Back to the Future 3, which is the worst Back to the Future. I, I would agree with that. <laughs> Hot take? No, I'm kidding. I agree with you guys 100% on that. <laughs> yeah, let's just say Michael J. Fox isn't going to be showing up in a cowboy outfit for the 40th anniversary of that, I don't think. So, so uh, Aviv, when you were mentioning the, the way this movie moves, especially in that first act, I, you know, like you said, he has a show so quickly. Mm-hmm. I was kind of shocked watching this the first time that we get like a montage of him setting up his costume and his stage so early in the movie. And it's a great montage, you know, with Malambo number one from Ima Sumac. I was like, oh, I love this song. Oh, I think you mean Mambo number five. <laughs> I don't know. Would it would it work better with Mambo number five? 
Cue the mambo number five. It's all good. Let me jump in and send in the trumpet. A little bit of Monica in my life. A little bit of Erica by my side. A little bit of Rita's all I need. A little bit of Tina's what I see. A little bit of Sandra in the sun. A little bit of Mary all night long. A little bit of Jessica, here I am. A little bit of you makes me your man. I mean, as bizarre as this movie is, if you did that, I would still be like, okay, this movie's just fucking weird, and it doesn't care. So, okay, Danny DeVito plays, is in the movie, he plays Sheldon Mopes' manager, and he is, so like, the mechanics of the movie for, I guess, for listeners who haven't seen it is, Rainbow Randolph, he's, he's the guy, he gets ousted, Sheldon Mopes comes in, he's Smoochie the Rhino, he gets a new show, and his and his corrupting force is his manager, Danny, played by Danny DeVito. But th- can we talk about like the overall conspiracy? Yeah, the true the true the true evil hiding behind like the Emperor. <laughs> Harvey uh-huh. Firestein. It's Harvey <laughs> Firestein. <laughs> And not only that, he represents a children's charity, yeah, and they are the big hope. fucking bad. That's why I'm like, come on, man. Yeah, yeah. This is this is I think the the most absurd. It's like abs- an absurd casting and an absurd backstory for the character. Like yes. if he was a mobster played by Harvey Firestein, that'd be one thing. But he is the head of a charity played by Harvey Firestein, who's like ordering hits on people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely uh, enjoy. Well, I think I always enjoy seeing Harvey Firestein. Uh, in the the Ebert review I read, he he mentions he's like, and he he casts uh, Devito casts the gravel voiced Harvey Firestein, and then in parentheses Ebert writes, as Firestein gains weight, he's more bolder voiced. <laughs> and I was like, oh, just oh, taking a geez. taking a stab at Firestein. <laughs> what a drive by on that one! What the <laughs> hell, man? What's your fucking beef with Firestein? Ebert didn't really have room to be throwing that kind of shit. That's weird. <laughs> right. So Harvey Firestein co-starred with Robin Williams and Mrs. Doubtfire, of course. Co uh, starred with Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day. Crazy. Um, he was in uh, a personal favorite of mine, which is Doctor Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde, starring Sean Young. But in this movie, he's straight. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think his most famous role was just John Lovitz doing an impersonation of him on Saturday Night Live. So I'll be honest, I just I just, I just want to be loved. Is that so wrong? Like that's how I knew Far- Harvey Firestein, uh, especially going into this. You know, back then. I, I just want to be loved. Is that so wrong? He also plays Lily's smoking voice on How I Met Your Mother, which is like the perfect. <laughs> but so there's like a weird. There's like a. So when Catherine Keener's character discovers that he's behind it all, she's like, I should have known because he grabbed my ass at a Parade of Hope benefit. Yes. But like, no, he didn't. <laughs> Dubious at best. <laughs> goes straight straight to the top. <laughs> um, in rea- so, so there's this like weird moment in still in the first act when Sheldon realizes that he has no creative control over Smoochie and like and like can't dictate where the the show's going and that's like duh like there's yeah. no no earthly universe where a I mean not that this is reality but like a show a, a network would just buy your IP rights and you would be lucky to actually get to be in the show 
um, and you would have no control over any kind of marketing, which is interesting because that's kind of that's a plot point later where um, Danny DeVito's character gets him gets him EP credit and blah 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 and this and that, um, and then he gets to start throwing his 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 weight around or his clout around, but like the the it's made such a little deal in the beginning when that could have been like an actual thing where you know the the suits slide a piece of paper across the 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 table to him and say like you got to sign your life away kid which you know happens all the time yeah it's almost like in that nathan scene i definitely took it as because what ed norton has that line where he's like kidnet is ready to produce a show of smoochy caliber yeah and his maybe not naive naivete but like his his innocence and his pure belief in what he's doing he thought that that meant like i get to do everything right yes no no way in hell <laughs> yeah but even though he, he kind of does right doesn't he not change the uh the cookie song lyrics or something like he's definitely right. trying to push back his yeah his only recourse because for whatever reason this is going live which is like you would never do that with kids <laughs> yeah um and did they he, think yeah. the kids knew both versions of the song how are they were singing along? How are they? How would they know the revised lyrics about the sugar soda? They want to talk about the drop of juice and the berries or whatever was in the cookies. <laughs> Sweetened with juice for an energy boost, guy. What Come the on. fuck does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't sound like a cookie I'd want to eat. And I honestly don't think that Smoochie would have never gotten popular saying crap like that either. We'd be like, who is this dork? No, eat a eat some celery. Fuck you, Smoochie. <laughs> um so so this is i would i would say the scene of the movie and the only reason the the main reason that i'm confident in saying that is you know for a couple of 14 year olds who saw this movie in 2002 wait no that's not the math's not not right on that 16 year olds who saw this in 2002 um this was the this was the scene that we quoted to each other for a decade okay yeah, just all the the, the rattling Rumpel off foreskin. The, the, the rumple foreskin, the one-eyed wonder weasel. It's a cock. <laughs> it balls. It's a cock. It's a cock and balls. <laughs> it's not a rocket, but... you sick fuck. <laughs> what are you blind? It's a cock. It's not what? a rocket, you what sick fuck. This? It's a cock. Randall, Look, get this guy out. The cock get and balls. The dick. Chorizo and the huevos. It's a big stiffy. Yeah. It's a penis. Penis Maximus, a willy, a weenie, Mr. Jiggle Daddy. Get him out of here. The one-eyed wonder weasel. Don't you see that? Simeon the twins. Rumpel Forskin. He made it. He made this thing. It's made from dildo. But the the one that I heard a new one today. Uh, for for all of the quoting that we did of this, I heard a new one today, and I was like, that still works for me. <laughs> I heard tr- um, uh, as- chorizo and huevos. <laughs> no, I didn't. Hear I had that missed one. that one before. <laughs> I had th- I had the subtitles on, so I was just reading along, and I think I caught a- I caught that one, and I'm sure the one you're about to say. Um. So as he's being carted away, he says it's made of dill dough. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. That that one I caught today too, and I was like, fucking nailed it. Fucking nailed it. Really the good. reaction of Edward Norton takes so long for him. To, if mm-hmm. you know it, and you have never, you had never seen it, Rob. But if as someone who's seen it, 
you go, yeah, he's going to say, it's a rocket ship. I didn't realize how long he sat and held that thing. And oh, yeah. Williams it's great. Go, he, come on. Sing it. Come on. He milks it. <laughs> and also the pomp and circumstance that they do of the cookies, right? So, like, they're oh. playing the theme from 2001, <laughs> and the fucking shit's coming down from the sky. and it's you get smoking. To, you, you pan across the children's faces, and they are positively foaming at the mouth for these cookies. It's, like, a beautifully constructed joke because... The lo- I mean, the longer that makes you wait, the more the the more better it is. Oh yeah, I think the most underrated part of that scene, in addition to like the, I mean, everything that you guys have said, but it's the subtle act, like the subtle look of terror, not on Ed Norton's face, but on Danny Woodburn's face, because <laughs> yeah. he's got that initial shot of just like. What the fuck do we do? And then whenever he says, like, it's a rocket ship, he just has that look like, oh, my God, we got out of that alive. <laughs> yeah, he's he turns in a really good performance. And um, this might be because Danny DeVito is also a very small person. But there's not a single joke about how little Danny Woodburn is, mm-hmm. which is great. I mean, like, it, any other comedy from 2002 would take a couple of pot shots under rainbow randolph he's basically playing a fucking like a munchkin though right like, so like that it, there's no like hey you're a little person joke it's just like the joke is look at him that, that you're here him. right <laughs> right like that's that's to say there's not a joke at his expense i suppose is i don't know how genuine of a statement that would be and you kind of just feel that they're that you kind of feel that the uh that they're just part of the industry too and and yeah the, i like that it, he did. He could have gone for a lot easier jokes than he did. So maybe I should yeah. give some of the other stuff grief. Yeah. Yeah. The part of the industry thing I really like. He's like, I'm a crinkle kid. I'm a Rynette. A job's a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rynette is a is great. That's like really good oh, writing, yeah. by the way. I definitely like seeing Danny Woodburn in this. Um, and Aviv, you mentioned the uh, the tickle me Elmo stuff. Danny Woodburn is one of the Santas in Jingle All the Way, the Arnold oh, yeah. movie. Yeah. The, the hot Santa. Yeah. yeah. The, the Spanish language version. That's a terrible movie. That oh, is yeah. my Christmas Eve movie. Yeah, so Cassie loves that movie. So we it's it's in our we have like a set list of holiday movies we watch every year, and that's one of them for the last well however long we've been eight years at this point. So I'm just like ah, terrible that's, that's man. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my movies I love so much because I think they're like nothing about that movie works in the slightest. <laughs> Jake Lloyd is doesn't turn in his finest performance. <laughs> Um, that's also another. So, so Schwarzenegger was in three different movies with Devito twins, um, Junior, Ju- Junior. Oh my oh. god! I just, I just god. literally had a stroke. Twins, <laughs> Junior, and what was what's the third one? Uh, with Arnold, I'm not sure. Nothing comes. Nothing jumps out at me immediately. This was your trivia question. Don't I know? I but I like I said I had a stroke. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're they're in the they're in the Batman universe together. Last action hero. Last action he's, hero. He's the Last voice of the hero? cartoon cat. Yes. Oh, see, they had to sneak that in. I don't think anyone saw that. That yeah, you want to talk about? Oh, bombs. You, I fucking love that movie. If you do a Shane Black one, I'm here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we do have I, an think, affinity for Last Action Hero on this podcast. Uh, we haven't covered it yet, but we do love it. <laughs> I think who did McTiernan direct that? Yeah, John McTiernan okay. directed it, and oh, there's no Shane Black has nothing to do with that movie. Oh no, he wrote it. Never mind. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, he wrote it. That was uh, just sort of McT- an unrelated note. If you're ever doing a Shane Black, <laughs> yeah, big fan of Shane Black. Um, so uh, another joke that I did remember, and I and I do remember Matt saying to me on numerous occasions 
um, is every time my brothers played Cowboys and Indians, I was always the Chinese railroad worker. That guy is like great. <laughs> I've never owned a gun. I don't believe in them. Really? When we were kids and my brothers and I played Cowboys and Indians, I was always the Chinese railroad worker. Just really good. <laughs> really good, good one-liners. That was one of the ones I could imagine uh, Danny DeVito coming up with and being very proud of. It was... It was... <laughs> And there's yeah. actually a deleted scene that it, because, uh, I mean, they, they kind of put out a fair amount of casual racism in the movie as is, but there's a deleted scene of, of another. Um, Where? There's a deleted scene. I don't, I, it's about <laughs> a Chinese uh, uh, kids host. They called him like the Chinaman from Tin Pan Alley. What about him? It's a deleted scene where they're watching a scene of someone they're going to audition and they're like, what about him? Yeah. <laughs> can't, can't imagine why that. Well, well, that didn't before. make it there exactly. <laughs> um, so, so can we also talk about Catherine Keener's character? So Catherine Keener plays Nora. She's like the producer of this show, and apparently a kids show host groupie. Yes, I, I have to say I, I did not enjoy the uh, the romance subplot between her and Norton for like the whole movie until. We get the reveal that she has like a kids TV show host fetish, and Robin right. Williams is just rattling them off at the end. <laughs> yeah, Humphrey Hippo, and you know, you're just another action figure for her collection. Shut up, Randy, before I jaw you again. I got Mr. Boomy, Missy. Why don't you tell him about Jingle Jackson? You dated Jingle Jackson too? She used to like to play with his bells. <sighs> what about Wally the Whale? Nora, how could you do it with Wally the Whale? There she blows. I don't believe this is happening. I can't believe you didn't tell me about this. Listen, Sheldon, I'm not proud of it, but there was a time in my life when I was a bit of a kitty host groupie. <gasps> Yar she blows. But, oh. but it is, it is, oh, woof. Uh, it is planted because they, uh, they being Nora and Sheldon Mopes, Bond over a quote from Ricketts the Hippo. Ricketts the Hippo. <laughs> Ricketts, I literally, yeah. I literally thought that they were quoting a Fleetwood Mac song. <laughs> it is pretty sappy. I didn't write the quote down, yeah. but I think it is pretty sappy. Sometimes light is really dark. Sometimes crows can sing like larks. Sometimes winter feels like spring. Don't, Don't think, think you, you know, know everything. everything. Ricketts the Hippo. You remember Ricketts? It's basically thunder only happens when it's raining. Players only love you when they're playing. But, like, it's not that. And they're like, Rick, it's the hippo? I'm like, not Lindsey Buckingham? <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, it's, didn't Catherine Keener say it's like, I grew up on Rickets or something like that? It's what wanted her, made her get into the business, that type of thing. Yeah. I, I grew up on Rickets. <laughs> that sounds not appropriate. <laughs> But, it but always Matt, makes me go to – I think of the real-world, like, comparisons of this. Like, were there real-world groupies going around? Like, Captain Kangaroo's like, getting tail yeah. and Bozo? Blo yeah, blowing Captain Kangaroo. Look, everyone yeah, knows Rogers. that fucking Mr. Rogers was a legendary coxman. Yeah, like, everyone knows fucked. this. <laughs> Did they cover that in the Tom Hanks movie? I never saw it. Is that, like, a big uh, second act? It's, it was yep. in the director's cut. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Matt, Matt, going to school and living in Pittsburgh for a while, there is like, there's rumors, like he's responsible for like a quarter of the population of Pittsburgh just by like, 
<laughs> how much fucking pipe he laid. Also, that movie is really bad. Oh, okay, okay. I had yeah. no desire to see it, so. It's so, so bad. Um, well, the documentary was really good, wasn't it? The documentary is good. I wasn't going to cry until 9-11 happened in the documentary. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, like, you, you didn't cr- you never general. cried in your life before 9-11, <laughs> and then 9-11 was the day that the tears fell along with the towers. <laughs> You guys are fitting. You guys are fitting right in. We actually reference uh, Zach and I as New Yorkers. Zach's still a New Yorker. We reference nine eleven quite a bit. <laughs> oh, in every screenplay I write, I make a nine eleven joke. So if you're ever watching anything, and a nine eleven joke pops up that is completely inappropriate, sixty forty of Eve wrote. Sixty forty. If it's nine eleven and the Philadelphia Eagles, it's definitely me. That's a hundred percent. Yeah, the first episode of Cinemodities is on Batman v Superman, and we talk a lot Ooh. about 9-11 imagery, oh, wow. and yeah. that's what I kicked can't us imagine. off. <laughs> um, so, is it in Robin Williams' contract that he has to do a bunch of voices? It's It's gotta be, because even when he's the driver, he's doing the Mrs. Doubtfire voice, right? <laughs> but so, so, but it's, it's a, a good... It's a good performance. This is like both a big performance and a good performance. So, so Rainbow Randolph hatches this plan, right, to to implicate Smoochie. He calls Smoochie pretending to be a Scottish dude and then picks him up as an Australian dude, but he keeps waffling between yes. Australian and Scottish again. And Where it's did like you say you're from, Mr. Conklepeck. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's so seamless that it even fooled me for a second. I was like, "Wait a minute." Yeah. And and so he's like He's really good at fucking up, which is not an easy thing to do, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't just say, Rainbow Randolph, you have a fake mustache. What happened? <laughs> you- well, it's funny because when he's playing the, the cabbie, he says something like, oh, I'd stick my dick in a nest of funnel webs or something like that, which is uh, native to Australia, not Scotland. <laughs> Matt, oh, Matt's, okay. Matt's like with a with a notepad and like a, and a <laughs> atlas, like, that checks out. <laughs> Must and that whole scene is so, like, mustache twirly, dick dastardly. I know I'm going to do something bad, and you know I'm going to do something bad, but he doesn't. Don't tell Edward Norton. <laughs> yeah. but the, So there's an interesting moment in that where um, – so there's this ultra close-up on, like, Robin Williams' eye, and there's a lot of, like, weird eye shots in this, but Robin Williams' eye and then <laughs> Edward Norton in the background, and it's – this thing called a split split field where it's a lens attachment that allows you to hold two different focal points at once Mm -hmm. it's like a super 90s way to shoot something (laughs) they do a lot of it in like you know erotic thriller joe esterhouse movies and um but i so i haven't seen this movie in i don't know almost 20 years but you can actually see the wig you can see his like wig kind of curling up okay so that's like an interesting bit of bit of detail that i it's not just for fun it's like it's teaching it's like teaching you something the shot is definitely definitely yeah i uh i'm glad you bring up the the voices with robin williams i definitely wanted to talk about that because you know i i don't think i've seen anything with him where he doesn't do at least one voice Mm -hmm. and i i know you guys on the uh the svu podcast haven't gotten to it but the the oh, Robin episode Williams episode, yeah. he, he does voices to try and fool Christopher Maloney, and it's just Can't like, wait. okay, this is this has got to be great, in that's his a contract. Great episode. <laughs> um, I well, have... look, no, but here's here's the question though: Do you think it's in his contract, or it's like you brought him in for a fucking reason? Like you know what you're getting? Like that's <laughs> yeah. why you brought him in. Who who puts it in the contract? Does he, he's like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do some voices. 
<laughs> yeah, I think it's it might be him. At the point at the point that this was made, and even you know at, at this stage in his career, like he might not be necessarily like an A lister, but who the fuck's gonna tell Robin Williams what to do? Yeah, that's true. At that point, like if he does a long take where he hits the television five times, it's Dan, it like he's and gives earned, you options. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's he's earned that at like reputation and like he's earned that respect. I think at that point in his career, it's like. That's why you bring him in. Like, if I, I, I would be disappointed if he didn't do a fucking voice, actually, because like they can be funny, they can be exhausting sometimes, but they can be funny too. And honestly, th- there's there's something to be said for he did six alts of that of that line reading where he's beating up the TV, and they were all funny enough to include in the movie, right? He's mm-hmm. like, right, exactly. He was the best that there ever was at that thing. Yeah, I mean, by not having him do voices, it's like bringing in a stuntman to play Hamlet. It's like. Do you know what you did here? Why did you, why why Meanwhile, did you do that? In our Steven Seagal Sunday series, we were talking about bringing Steven Seagal in to play Hamlet for one night only, and how desperately I wanted that to happen. I thought you were going to mention that didn't Keanu Reeves play Hamlet in a Canadian? He certainly did. We, we yeah. did discuss that on the okay. on the episode too. So I I think with uh, all the alts you were talking about, I got that sense from it's a later scene when. Uh, they're taking Robin Williams out of the police precinct, and he's just mm-hmm. like he's just ranting about all. He's this. running, yeah, yeah, and that's a great scene. But I think that goes to what you're saying, where you know he's saying all this stuff that's worthy to put in there, and that that was one of my favorite scenes of the movie, where he gets hit with the egg, and he's like, "I'm yeah. shot, I'm bleeding, <laughs> I salmonella." <got> salmonella. <laughs> Salmonella. <laughs> You have an unhealthy obsession with shells and boats. Well, I barely know that bitch, okay? And she's been down on everything but the Titanic. She spreads you? like cream cheese for shells. What about the rumors that you're mentally imbalanced? Who the fuck said that? I fucking I'm not mentally right, imbalanced. Right, I'm on the same dose as I've always been. Let me handle this. Listen, between my clients dwindling cash flow and his mounting legal fees, he's sinking into a deep psychotic depression. So hey, grab my ass. Hey, get away from me. Don't hey, touch hey, me. Hey, please. Oh, oh, very nice. Oh, I've been oh, shot. I'm bleeding. Salmonella. You're a lawyer. That's Salmonella. Someone touched my ass. So my question, I have a question about that scene. And for listeners of our podcast, you know that I have mild face blindness. Um, is the is his lawyer the same guy who plays the FBI agent that arrests him? I don't think so. But the scenes were so far apart that I kind of forgot about the FBI at the beginning. There are a lot of generic white men as background people that <laughs> get true. mixed in a lot, a lot in this movie. Yeah, I don't know. So, so okay. I just love that scene where it was like, someone says that you're mentally unstable. Who the fuck said that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I barely know that bitch. And she's been down on everything about the Titanic, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the, so in between those two scenes is like a really important to the plot and also like for the comedy moment so 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 randolph tricks him into going out to fucking new jersey oh yeah oh of course okay right, let's do it. i'm so excited i've never played a tractor parts warehouse before <laughs> well it's all about the little ones <laughs> like it's so funny like that's why this is hilarious because it's just like ed norton is in a completely different movie yeah. like his character is like ed norton is, is very much in it but like it's just the fact that, like, his innocence is just so bizarre against the backdrop of, like, this super corrupt system where, like, he just genuinely believes he's like, I'm going to a tractor parts warehouse to play for kids. 
with this weird dude that goes between a Scottish and an Australian act, and it doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> so it, it turns out he's playing a Nazi rally. Oh, that was that was fantastic. Not only because I loved the reveal, but I definitely did not see it coming. I thought they were going to do something like Robin Williams just going to drop him off in the middle of nowhere, and he would take him forever to find his way back. But nope, mm-hmm. it's so much better than I expected. <laughs> okay, so the cops burst into this Nazi rally. <laughs> As as the Nazis are saying, Heil Smoochie. <laughs> Heil Smoochie is, re- is really good, but they make it better later. Dude, the shot like, where it's, it's, it's the fucking, it's the profile shot of Ed Norton, and then you just see the fucking Nazi banner falling in slow motion, <laughs> like, to fill the rest of the frame. It's just, it's so bizarre. How can people not and, find this funny? And he's got the salute going because he's trying to just see through the lights so you can get the perfect shot. Of him doing it, he's got the salute up. How, did, did Danny DeVito, I mean, not Danny DeVito, did uh, Rainbow Randolph tell all these Nazis that he was coming, or did they just automatically love him? Is he like their Pepe? <laughs> I, would lo- I would love the backstory of like how he becomes this weird alt-right <laughs> mascot. But the, So the police come and break it up, and this is the least realistic part of the movie, because the police wouldn't actually break it up. Yeah, yeah, it's just just a, a rally in a in a warehouse. They would just, yeah. they would just be there. <laughs> yeah, they would be like, "Yeah, we're already here, guy." Yeah, I okay, guess. Yeah. And they and they also say this is an unlawful assembly. So it's like <laughs> it's just that they didn't have the right permitting to be in that tractor parts warehouse. <laughs> yeah. They're not even blocking traffic. All right, shoot you boys! This is the third time this week we're talking about the tractor parts warehouse. <laughs> you scamps. <laughs> I, I do like after at the end of that scene or when uh, they're uh, what interrogating Smoochie and we get all the um, the faces coming at the screen of the of the cops saying different things to him. That uh, yeah. that whole that whole interaction and scene was fantastic. How many times have you read my camp? Is Smoochie a code word for white power? Adolf Hitler, your personal hero. Are you planning a violent overthrow? I don't hate anybody. Does that mean you don't hate Nancy? How does it feel to be a racist scumbag? Once again, really fast moving, right? It doesn't even give you a, a, a second to get your sense of place. It's just like this weird montage of semi-translucent faces of like, how long have you been in the Nazi party? Yeah, and, and, then of, it, uh, and then it what? A like lot cuts? of flashing signs kind of giving a little exposition too. Like Rainbow Randolph held, you know, <laughs> as they go on, you have to just read these. Okay, that's okay. this is where the world is reset now yeah, since this yeah. new event happened. Yeah, it's the spinning newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it cuts to, like, Robin Williams talking to a baby, like, immediately after. And he's like, the rhino's a Nazi! And the baby starts crying. And it's just, it's almost like whiplash. It's going so fast. So, uh, when, so Smoochie gets his show back after it, it, it comes out that Rainbow Randolph set this all up. But when he gets his show back, he returns, his triumphant return. <laughs> he's draped in the American flag, yeah. holding two other American flags and the battle hymn of the Republic is playing in the background. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not, not Nazis, man. <laughs> it's for the image. That's uh, that's what Kidnet said he needed for the image. <laughs> Were kids really keep it up with this fast breaking news about Smoochie either to it? Like, no Smoochie Nazi. Yes. Oh no. Okay. He's good now. He's good now. <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough conversation. That's like how those how those conservatives are like, how am I going to explain to my kids about someone who's gay? Like mom and pa Johnson have to sit down little Timmy and be like, okay, so this is what a Nazi is. You know, Smoochie, he also might be a Nazi. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I, I guess I did want to mention how uh, it's revealed that uh, Robin Williams' Ran- Ruba- Rainbow Randolph was behind the, the Nazi thing. It's because we haven't even mentioned that we have, like, this this uh, Irish mob boss played by Pam Ferris who's just strong-arming everybody with complete success throughout the entire movie. Yeah, so so Pam Ferris plays uh, <clears throat> a, a woman named Tommy Cotter, who's, yeah, the head of some Irish mob. Yeah, and Spinner's is, cousin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's not yeah. Irish at all. <laughs> And we also have, we haven't even introduced, have we even introduced Spinner into the story at no. this point? Because we <laughs> no, have yeah. to talk about Spinner. Like, oh, I love Spinner. Spinner is my favorite. <laughs> so I was shocked, especially coming off of Matilda last week, that this is Pam Ferris. Because I was like, who played Tommy? And it's Pam Ferris who plays Trunchbull in Matilda. Completely unrecognizable between the two roles. It's amazing. I don't know if I've ever seen Matilda. Oh geez, it's a it's it's fantastic. It held up way better than I expected after seeing it as a kid and watching it, you know, for this podcast. Well, here's a question, just a general question, actually on that point, you're saying Matilda aged better. Do you think because it's a it's a more of a child's movie? Do you think children's movies generally age better than any other because they don't typically handle overtly anything? hot buttony necessarily that's an interesting idea yeah and it could be um one of the things i I loved about matilda was that it was it was probably the most well-balanced family movie i've ever seen like they don't do that stupid stuff where there's just like sex jokes just for the adults like everything Mm -hmm. you know the kids and the adults can understand even if you know like there's fbi agents chasing danny devito because he's like buying and selling illegal car parts and even though the kids won't understand like why the parents are running a guam in the end they still know that something is, like, happening to the family. And it's very well balanced, and I think it held up a lot for that. But hmm. at, at the same time, I, I think that could be – I haven't watched a lot of kids' movies recently, so uh, I don't know how much it holds up across the board. But that's an interesting idea, Matt, for sure. They also don't really – kids' movies don't really try to push the envelope in terms of – so to me, the things that don't hold up super well are the ones that try to be transgressive but in the 1950s or 60s or 70s when they're like, Haha, this black character is so funny. And they don't really like do that shit with kids' movies mm-hmm. anymore. I mean like Song of the South was a kids' movie, but <laughs> – um, well, okay. I guess there's an exception to every fucking yeah. rule of Eve. <laughs> um, but so Spinner, Spinner done. Hey, Smoochie! Hey, hey, I'm Spinner! Hey, I'm so excited to meet you! Oh, well, I'm excited to meet you too, Spinner! Hey, I'm Spinner! Right! Yeah, yeah. okay. Spinner done. Um, is he, he like runs this restaurant in name only he's a punch drunk boxer he's played by this dude named michael rispoli yes and there are certain roles that are so iconic to an actor that every time i see you know every time i see christopher lloyd i'm like oh there's doc brown mm-hmm. every time i see michael rispoli in like random little shit i'm like spinner done <laughs> <laughs> he's done so well for himself <laughs> I thought it was great to see uh, see. Well, I love Spinner the character as you know as himself, and then Moochie later on on the uh, on the Smoochie show. No, but I'm I, Moochie. I watched uh, the Sopranos earlier this year, and he's a Michael Raspoli is a recurring character, Jackie April Senior, and he's like the kickoff for the whole story. Like he's the mob boss that dies that like lets Tony Soprano get in, and I was like, wow, these roles could not be any more different. <laughs> well, he's Irish in this one. Yes, that that's it. That's the biggest the biggest polarization right there. 
again that the whole point of the Irish involvement is all at all in this film, which is major, which is major to the plot. It's just that they just wanted Spinner in the in the show. He just <laughs> liked him, and uh, and Danny DeVito even warns him when he's coming over. He's like, "Don't start talking to this guy." But the fact that he even recognized him as as Smoochie too was uh, was impressive for Spinner. And and that that harkens to one of the themes of the movie, other than like this predatory capitalism thing, is the is the um, the purity of believing Spinner? in something. <laughs> yeah, right. Like like Spinner is very childlike, and yep. and Mooch, Smoochie is very childlike. What's his name? Sheldon Mopes. Yep. Um, and so it's like they're the heroes of the movie. They're the they're the the ones that either can't be tainted or we have to protect at all costs, which is like super interesting that ultimately this plays out like any other kids movie would, which is like the, the, the naive dreamers are the heroes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of murder. Well, it's also <laughs> interesting. I'm just thinking about this in terms of what you said earlier of Eve. And I don't know why I think just the way you were describing this, maybe think of this in terms of this being rainbow Randolph's movie. Cause it's like, and you're right, because Ed Norton's character is, in terms of where it starts and where it ends, like, but his character himself is static. Because he starts out Absolutely. as a good dude, he has a crisis yeah. of confidence, and then turns out he's still good. Rainbow Randolph is a piece of shit and then learns friendship and is actually nice at the end. So he's the one that actually has an arc and changes. Mm -hmm. He is technically the protagonist of this movie. Yeah. Um, and and you're not going to get away with, with uh, without the crisis of confidence moment, mm -hmm. but still. Yeah. I I have to say uh the the spinner's kind of you know the, some of the funniest moments to me was uh, when spinner dies when he's getting like punched by the goons he get I think he, the after the first punch he's like hey what round is it and then they shoot yeah. him <laughs> yeah. and then when he's he's in the casket with his cowbell and the and the, and and the, the drumstick yeah and the gloves his oh, gloves great. are in there too <laughs> um also like a really nice character touch is when they introduce Moochie and they play him in his entrance music he like does like a boxing entrance he's like shadow boxing on his way down as moochie <laughs> so yeah they only like sheldon when they think that they can control him to line their pockets and then as soon as sheldon gets control he becomes the executive producer of of the show as well as you know wanting to do this ice show for free they're like oh well we've got to kill him like like this definitely was kind of a a uh, uh, cancel culture more moral thing first mm -hmm. for us, but like when it's going to hurt our our bottom line, let's just hire a heroin addict to murder him. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Vincent Schiavelli as just like constantly falling asleep on them was was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> yeah, what's his character name? Buggy. Yeah, Buggy. Yeah. Some Buggy, and then two other words. I think it's like Buggy Ding Dong or something like that. <laughs> buggy, buggy Ding Dong is exactly right. In fact. <laughs> Um, but I, so I thought that I remembered him having a bigger role in the movie. And so like an hour in, I'm like, I thought Vincent Schiavelli was in this movie. And then like, even 20 minutes after that, they're like, we got to call Buggy Ding Dong. And, and he shows up, but his, his presence and let's be honest, face is so memorable yep. that I just thought like he was in it the whole time. <laughs> oh yeah. He steals the entire uh, like third act pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, when he's falling asleep with the gun at the ice show, and Robin Williams is not not asleep but off signing autographs, and like both of these people are not doing what they're supposed to be doing in the movie. I love it. Oh it's yeah, so it was it came together so well. <laughs> Meanwhile, like they're doing fucking Angela's ashes on ice. 
Oh, and there again, it's become an opera. And, and Spinner even does as he's uh, being sent literally to heaven, lifted up in a giant <laughs> carriage that says "To Heaven" or whatever it says on it. <laughs> and he's doing a little shadow boxing then too. But, but the scene when he gets murdered, so he basically gets murdered because he's wearing the same outfit as Smoochie. He's Moochie. Mm-hmm. And the scene where he's pulled away is when Nora and and uh, and Sheldon Mopes get it on. Right. And I noticed. I know it's one of those things where we we're looking at this now, going, "Oh yeah, there's like cancel cancel culture." She says to him, "This is completely unrelated, but definitely a, a, a current topic." She goes, "I thought you were a simp." And then I just thought you were a, a, a simp or something. Well, that's totally understandable. And the way she said it, <laughs> the way she said it, I was like, "That has a completely different meaning right now." And I'd be like, "I'd say he kind of is simping a little." <laughs> He is kind of simping. Also, like there is, you know, if we want to take the moralistic approach, he is he is sinning, right? He's fornicating. Um, if this were a horror movie, this is what cause causes Jason to to murder them, J- right? Jason Voorhees is behind a door. Watch out! <laughs> but they're doing it, and that it like if they weren't doing it, if they were with Spinner, Spinner would be alive, or or Sheldon would be dead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a good point. I also, Harvey Firestein's line when he's angry at the goons for killing the wrong rhino, and he's like, Moochie's mauve, uh, Smoochie's fuchsia. Like, you didn't fuchsia. tell us a color. <laughs> hey, you just said killed a rhino. How the fuck is I supposed to know that Smoochie's got a cousin Moochie? <laughs> I love, that's one of my favorite scenes, because he also has like a digital picture frame, and he's like flipping through the digital picture frame channels to find a picture of Smoochie for some reason. This might be the first digital picture frame in film because even I'm watching him going, "What is he changing? Oh, is this just a is this a TV channel he has? I, I didn't it's understand like it that it was sideways. That's what it's supposed to be. So Rainbow Randolph has fallen so far that he decides to light himself on <laughs> d- douse himself in gasoline and light himself on fire in the middle of Times Square, which is a perfect example for conservative America's fake persecution complex because he is dumping gasoline on himself and getting ready to kill himself because he is facing the consequences of his own actions. Yep. I I thought for sure like that was going to be like a dream sequence or something and when they were just owning it and going for it I'm like okay I'm on board. Like he's <laughs> the world's longest match in history is yeah. lit. I mean I just love the part about that like the best part about it, I think, is just the fact where like he's doing it and he's just, he's just rambling on, and no one seems all that concerned or trying to talk about it. He's like, nobody tried to stop me, and no one was to begin with. So it's like, I mean, hold me back, for, hold me back. I mean, except for the little girl that comes out, is like, what are you doing? But like, literally, there's a there's a sizable crowd around him, and no one gives a fuck. No. And they didn't even have phones. They didn't even have an excuse to just stand there staring like yeah, I was going right. to film it. They're just it's just two thousand two people. No one was there with a camera for posterity. <laughs> um, so, so let's talk about like how that scene was directed, right? So, they they could very easily have been directed to look scared, like, "Oh my God, is he really going to do it?" Like, maybe one of them like leans forward to try to help, and then like leans back because he's afraid that it'll go wrong or something. But no, they're just like watching, kind of in curious awe of him, in curious awe of him, and. I think that that's like definitely a directorial choice by DeVito saying like they don't give a shit about this guy killing himself. They just are here to see the show. Yeah, they're movie New Yorkers. 
Yeah, I definitely took it as, oh, it's, you know, it's Times Square, it's New York. They just think he's a street performer. Like, I was expecting someone to, like, throw a quarter at him when he when he was dousing oh, himself a, with gasoline or something. That's a good moment. Well, I mean, it's also just an idea, the idea that, like, all of these guys are genuinely replaceable. It's the machine that is driving this. It's not any of the individual exactly. people. It's Rainbow Random. It's all the people that apparently Catherine Keener fucked before. It's like, <laughs> once you're not in the spotlight, you can literally light yourself on, threaten to light yourself on fire when you were once the biggest star. It's just, it's a commentary on the fickleness of fame, about the giant machine, the corruption machine that is this, that is the corrupt capitalism. The fact that in the opening scene where it's Rainbow Randolph doing his dance sequence, there are so many things where like, in be- like the little like star wipe, but it's just a dollar sign. The fact that there's just all these yeah. dollar signs all over the wow. thing, where it's like it doesn't even try to hide it. It's just like and, yeah, this is the and, comment we're making. And his intro, the intro to his show, which is the, the one the very beginning of the movie, is like super low rent. Yeah, it like looks like shit, and not in a way that's like oh, this movie's from twenty years ago. It looks like shit. No, I think that this is like purposely looks kind of chintzy. Um, Log on. It's not free. It's not free. (laughs) And you know what else comes in all sizes? Our Rainbow Randolph products. They're there online for you at rainbowrandolph.com. Log on. It's not free. So, Smoochie does a song that we talked about earlier, which is My Stepdad's Not Mean, He's Just Adjusting. (laughs) Fantastic. And maybe it's all the... So this is my note. Maybe it's all the SVU talking, but he should do a disclaimer about abuse. Oh, wait, there it is. (laughs) What are the magic numbers, kids? Nine, nine, one, one. one. (laughs) So remember, kids, a stepdad is a lot like a new puppy. They need patience and love while they adjust to their new surroundings. But remember... If he is ever abusive to you or mommy, what are the magic numbers? Nine one one. That's right. It's just the total something because he goes from such that friendly voice. If he ever hurts you or your mom, yeah, it's that it's that hidden. This is why he became he got to be Hulk because he was able to stifle that rage. This <laughs> film, he speaks about it so much, and it, of course, it almost comes out at the end. But that is another moment. That and when he's howling on the show. When he, yeah, uh, the howling is is really is another really interesting scene because of the same the same thing of like the same thing as the st- stepdad song and the same thing as the cookies is Devito and the editor uh, whose name I had pulled up and I lost it um, makes you wait so long for that exhale for that permission to laugh mm-hmm. and so it's like the longer they the longer they play with you the um, the more kind of satisfying it is to then be able to exhale and be like, oh, it, w- it was a joke. The <laughs> editor's name, by the way, is John Paul, P-O-L-L. Oh. I mean, who was the, uh, the DP on this? Does it list? Oh, I don't know. Some fucking straight out of film school motherfucker. Um, <laughs> well, no, because I asked because I want to get everyone's thoughts on the way that this is shot. Because it's shot yeah. from like extreme highs, extreme close-ups. They play with... Wide-angle uh, lenses. Yeah, they play with wide-angle lenses. They they play with the, the lighting a whole fuck lot. Like, it seriously looks like this is a 1950... Like, you could make this like a Raymond Chandler <laughs> fucking so, like, adaptation if this were a movie. And here's the thing. I love because, like, visually, that's kind of what it's telling you. It, that's the impression that I got in terms mm-hmm. of that's that's what it reminded me of in terms of visual style and the way that the the shots are constructed, and which is why I found it even more hilarious because that's where your mind goes. But then you realize that it's, this is about like children's television programming, and it just it's constantly playing with your 
what you're you're used to seeing and what it's imparting to you just from a visual standpoint of the way that it's shot and what is actually happening on screen and the, the fact that there's a disconnect there makes it i think that adds to the comedy the dp is anastas m mikos or michos um he also shot keeping the faith the edward norton movie and <laughs> and oh, yeah. man on the moon the, oh. the danny devito movie, the danny DeVito movie. <laughs> and the big kahuna the danny devito movie <laughs> And Duplex, the Danny DeVito movie. Okay, so Danny DeVito's got his guy that he uses. I got yeah. you. He also shot Mona Lisa Smile, The Forgotten, Cadillac Records, Untraceable, um, oh. Oh, nothing else. Uh, he, the 2013 Texas Chainsaw reboot, remake, sequel thing? <laughs> remake, um, I believe. Yeah, reimagining. <laughs> uh, and the Netflix movie, Wait, The Kissing is the Booth. Is that the one with uh, Alexandra Daddario? Mm. That's the 2013 version. Oh, um, I thought you meant the kissing booth. Um, <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no, no. Alexander Daddario is this yeah, is yeah, the yeah. Texas Chainsaw one. He also shot the first Purge, so he he does a lot of different kind of things. <laughs> so he's a he's a fan of darkness, is what I'm I'm getting in terms of his. Show. But did you guys did you guys like the way that it was shot and how it visually came across? Did you find it jarring? Because Again, in a movie that's so bizarre, whenever, like, the introduction to John Stewart's character, it is, like, almost a complete 90-degree angle, yeah, and it's, it's just super fucking weird. strange, but, like, it still somehow worked for me. But I, I, I'm just curious for the people. Yeah, I, I thought it came together pretty well. I definitely picked up on some of the, the strangeness, and I think that's been a hallmark for a lot of these Danny DeVito movies, especially the, the later ones in his filmography. But, yeah, I agree with you that it came together in a way that I wasn't expecting, and I think the... um. Like, we were talking about the pacing, kind of, it, it it doesn't really let you dwell on these shots too much. You just kind of are thrown into it, and, and I'm yeah. okay with that. It's pretty cutty-cutty. The, 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 sh- the cinematography is definitely, like, of a time, right? Like, yeah. movies don't get shot like that these days, but in the late 90s and early 2000s, like, I just recently rewatched uh Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, I love and that fucking movie. Yeah, I know you do. Um, and it's also shot similarly to this, where it's like weird angles. And th- this movie, almost all of it is at a Dutch angle, which means the camera's like, it looks like you right. balance the tripod, which is great. And it and it adds to that noir feeling that Matt's talking about. But yeah, it's it's really next level with some lens selection and, and angle selection here. <laughs> I definitely noticed the Dutch angles in the uh, the methadone clinic scene at the beginning, like when Catherine Keener first sees <laughs> when she w- is watching him, yeah. And it's just like extreme Dutch angles, and Edward Norton's doing the worst fake guitar playing I've ever seen. And I'm just his like, guitar's out of tune, which is a nice little touch. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, I-, I noticed it there, but you know, nothing that detracted from the movie. Yeah, I think that's supposed to get you into the methadone clinic vibe, where you're supposed to just be <laughs> kind of kind of tilted to the side, watching a little too. Just that joke where she she says like, "Well, it's good to know that like he's like, oh, I don't normally play that long because you know after a certain amount of time it's kind of nap time." He's like, "Well, it's good to know that it's the drugs and not the music putting out." He's like, "Yeah, I guess I never really thought yeah. of that." <laughs> oh God, I hope so. The, the look on his face is priceless. Mr. Mopes. Yeah. Hi, I, I saw your performance tonight. It's very spirited. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. Well, yeah, you know sometimes I do a longer set, but. Uh... Once the evening meds kick in around here, it's pretty much sleepy time in old Coney Island, so oh, yeah. I have to get a sing-along going. <laughs> well, at least you know it's the smack that's knocking them out and not your singing, right? <laughs> yeah, God, I hope so. So Spinner is, is killed by the Parade of Hope people accidentally. <laughs> they go to Spinner's funeral, 
This, I I just I, I want to do this this setup this joke is like a long walk but I still love it. <laughs> so they go to Spinner's funeral. They place the cowbell in there and the boxing gloves, and uh, Tommy. So that Rainbow Randolph thinks it. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Sheldon thinks it was Rainbow Randolph, mm-hmm. but Tommy has done her own little investigation, and it turns out um, it was the Parade of Hope people, and that they're gonna like they're gonna get him they're gonna get his balls or whatever and um and sheldon's like well let's he believes in the justice system let's call the police and one of tommy's like brother henchman people is like oh they won't do the ball thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's against procedure (laughs) i love that that little that's just such a nice little joke this i guarantee that fucking randolph has seen his last rainbow we're gonna find him cut off his balls and shove him up his ass well, maybe we should leave that for the cops, Tommy. Cops won't do the ball thing. It's against procedure. Yeah, and of all, it's it's Firestein that gets it first of him, isn't it? Yeah, he gets. Uh, can we talk well, about there's someone the... laying on the floor first, so I think. <laughs> well, can we actually talk about the scene where Firestein uh, fucking gets it? Because I, again, the way that it's shot, it almost gives me the impression like if someone were almost were filming a play from just off of like off stage and then pushed in like the way and then the shot construction because it really looks like you're just because there's not much in the foreground and it yep. just it looks like very cheaply made which i you know obviously was a choice but the bar was like oh like why don't we tell him the story about the guy that gets his head chopped off with an axe and then the axe just comes in from I love that. out of frame it's <laughs> such a good fucking shot and then it tracks it's like a, i love it's it it's like a dick dick tracy level of uh, yeah. like bad guy scene going on you know you're expecting him to come busting in but no like no those are good guys no, i think that's actually a perfect very, description like... i love that description because i think that's the thing that i've been trying to circle around it's like yeah fucking dick tracy because that's kind of like noirish and everything like that but like mm-hmm. this is cartoony at the same time so like noir, it's kind right. of a perfect marriage there thank you russ for yeah, that no was what i was circling <laughs> that for hours and i couldn't fucking get there thank you russ thank right. you yeah. russ um, all right, Oz, nice talking to you. I'm just gonna go, no. <laughs> well, all right, so here we go. So I'm out. Uh, my point's been made. Gotta go. Um, he calls, uh, Catherine Keener calls Rainbow Randolph a jizz bag, which is just great. Also, I just love the fact that, like, Rainbow Randolph is, like, on the top of the world and then is gone immediately because, see, like, they put him up in the corporate penthouse. So, like, when he was out, he was, like, just immediately homeless. Yeah. <laughs> He had no investments or no anything. Savings. Yeah, he had he had nothing. He had no money whatsoever. And fucking John Stewart even says like the money that he was taking for the kids was quote unquote ass wipe money. So it's like, what are you yeah, doing yeah, with what all was of the your rest? money? Yeah, you he thought was, you were going to retire a king if he can just he's randomly getting briefcases like that, and this is a normal thing enough to where the FBI has figured it out and and st- stake him out and bust him, him yeah. doing it, and he could afford the best lawyers around. I don't know. Um, the, I, uh, I do love that that briefcase he gets in the beginning when he opens it, we get the shot inside. It's just wads of $10 bills. <laughs> I know, right? They couldn't get the hundreds. Um, it, did he not see the MC Hammer behind the music? <laughs> you invest, man. Um, so so when Tommy comes in and says that, that she discovered that, uh, that it was Harvey Firestein, He's uh, Sheldon says he's going to have a first class ride through the criminal justice system. <laughs> yes. Which is like a great joke because the everyone just ignores him. <laughs> it's like they know him at this point and they're just like, "Okay, yeah, you stay in your little innocent corner. The adults are going to do their jobs." Which is how they treated him in the boardroom too. Yeah, well, yeah. isn't that exactly whenever he became like the new executive producer, they sent him like a, a gift of which was a little patch of wheatgrass? Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Um, like he's just so is it is like whenever they're like okay like we're gonna go we're gonna go get fucked up and then we're gonna go kill Harvey Firestein and he's like okay don't drink too much what would Jesus do? <laughs> I like, do like that when just, he when he's at his lowest. Did you guys notice he's eating a cheeseburger and yeah, that is oh, his lowest point? Yeah, he's that's it. That is the the one vice that he does fall into <laughs> in the entire film where he's he's at his lowest. He's sitting eating a cheeseburger, real depressingly. It was like that, there, that was not a vegan burger. There's he was going for it. Um. So, Rainbow Randolph decides to swear off revenge. He's living in some kind of boiler room. Danny, Danny, um, what's his name? Is is bringing him soup, chicken and stars. Oh yeah, and he's what he's trying to get out of town or something like that. And then he sees in is it like the fucking Atlantic or something that uh, Sheldon and Nora were at the funeral, and he yeah. just like loses his shit. Yeah, and he's like, he stole my job, stole my time slot. Now he steals my girl. Oh it's God. almost like anytime you give him something, he starts losing his mind. Because I don't want to pass up the great joke earlier when John Stewart gives him some gift bag, oh, and yeah. he's like, yeah. he's like, and you you take that lotion, you know what to do with it, you jerk off. And that was another. What's this? Rainforest benefit freebie bags, uh, disposable cameras, Kahlua flavored peanuts, hand lotions, no animal tested. Don't ever contact me again, Randy. Get out of the car. You know what to do with a hand lotion, jerk off. Yeah, really good one. So he decides, Rainbow Randolph decides to go up to the corporate penthouse. He, like, sneaks in somehow to murder Sheldon. Sheldon? Sheldon. Yep, yep, Sheldon. And and potentially Nora. Nora, I'm so distracted. Nora is wearing, like like, a black turtleneck. And just a sequined red skirt. Yes. <laughs> Literal. For the rest of the movie, bus- I'm pretty sure. Business on the top, party in the back. <laughs> and he enters, bl- he enters with, uh, what's up? Which is like the most dated thing about this movie. Yeah. There's some good jokes in that whole, Robin Williams goes on the rant with the, when he's holding the gun at them. Like, I, I love the one where he's, uh. He's like above the fireplace. He's like, I had a very tasteful picture, like a woman with like a leaf over her crotch. It was very nice. Not a picture of your fucking mother, and it's just a rhino. Yeah, a rhino. Yeah, very um, tasteful. And- no bush. <laughs> it's the line. And he he reveals that he and Nora used to have a thing. They talk about his dick size. He says it's small, but it's fierce. <laughs> and 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 this is the big reveal that Nora was like a groupie. And don't don't slut shame her, Sheldon. Don't you slut shame her? Yep. And the thing about this scene, I think it's also, in addition to all the different lines, it's the line delivery, which is hard oh, to yeah. do justice, whatever. He says, like, it's small, but it's fierce. But there's just something about the way that he hits, like, the, it's small, but it's fierce. Oh, enlighten the lad, Nora. You were such a hot little brood mare. Does the bridle still fit? Hey, watch your mouth, What mister. experiments? I've had firmer handshakes, you drunk. Please, it's small, but it's fierce. Yeah. yeah, like it's just it's Robin Williams like doing his best Robin Williams impression, like and <laughs> and yeah, it is and and he he does get kind of he gets like let off the leash in this because it's R rated, like clear like there's this kind of famous story about um, Aladdin. There's like an R rated cut of Aladdin because Robin Williams wouldn't stop making like dick jokes as the genie. Um, and so, like, yeah, he get, he gets to say kind of whatever he wants, which is great. 
he says that she slept with Jingle Jackson and Wally the Whale. There she blows. And then there's this struggle. Sheldon tackle he like he like cracks. Sheldon tackles him by the the fireplace and Robin Williams yells, The flames are too hot, they're driving me mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's again it's the delivery of it. Like it's so funny how like Ray, how Rainbow Randolph in this next like this the course of this scene he goes from the unhinged guy with the gun like threatening to kill everyone then a breakdown and then he's just like you got a good you got a good man there Nora it's like I'm real classy and then he fucking spills coffee he's like oh my boss yeah so this is the I think this is my favorite joke in the whole movie where where uh, Sheldon is is has the gun and he's prepared to go shoot the the parade of hope people and he's like keep your dick don't make the same mistake i did keep your dignity intact and then he spills hot tea on his balls and he goes oh my balls <laughs> you're letting them drag you down to their level no i'm just wising up a little bit she's right you know don't make the same mistake i did keep your dignity intact ah my balls they're on fire oh yeah it's great it's like a just perfectly constructed joke. I must take a t- quick detour to say that the guy that played Mr. Belvedere once sat on, his, sat balls on his balls in the middle <laughs> yeah. of a shot and they had to stop production for two days. <laughs> I did, What the fuck? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you, that. Russ, That's for true. knowing. I got that. you back on that. It's true. It's true. The guy from Mr. <laughs> Belvedere. Mr. Belvedere himself sat on his balls. It happens. <laughs> sat right on him. Am I the only one that didn't know that? <laughs> no, I don't think I knew it either, man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, everyone's just like, yeah, what of it? Yeah, everyone knows that. Who wouldn't know that? So the, the scene ends. This is like, this is such a well-written or well-performed scene. So Robin Williams says, he's, I'm a wicked man who's done wicked acts. And Sheldon replies, you know what they say? It's like the song says, we all got our bad days. <laughs> what? What song is that? <laughs> Probably many. <laughs> it has to be is from it? the kid show verse. He's like, you know, it was Teensy Wansy's main theme. We remember. He's saying it as literally as he's spinning the fucking revolver, like you uh, know, he's, like the gangsters do, like in a fucking movie before to make did sure he that take it the actually bullets works. Out before no, no, he put him in. No, he put him okay. in. Smoochie is about to go commit murder. Yeah, and I, but I love. I think that that's like that's truly like. As they're writing it, um, by the way, this was this was written by uh, Adam Resnick. As they're writing it, like he's like, "Oh, this is in the trailer." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is also the night of the ice capades. Yep his uh, his opera like tribute to Mucci. <laughs> I, I hate to pu- I hate to pull this this thread, but I'm gonna, which is so Mucci is gonna be in the ice capades, right? And he's practicing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was going to fall on his ass, remember? He's going to fall on his ass, right? And then he's <laughs> killed. So that means that Sheldon had to have rewritten and re-choreographed the entire Ice Capades after Moochie's death to be like, no, this is going to be a tribute to my friend who was <laughs> murdered. Yeah, technically, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's all. I dig- He's a true professional. <laughs> Those little Rynettes during that, they had they were very oompa loompa. That was when they were actually yeah. a little bit terrifying. They they did a good job of making them cute throughout the entire thing, but they had little spears in the mask. They looked like those uh like those Mario uh enemies or something. Yeah. They were like <laughs> tiny Jabberwockies. 
Jabberwocky <laughs> with the with the ma- masks with the masks. are not my thing. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, the bad guys have hired Buggy Ding Dong <laughs> to who's like a heroin addict, like on the nod. But he used to be a kids show thing and they're going to give him his show back if he murders the rhino because they're just like taking too many hits to their bottom line Mm -hmm. and so buggy steals angelo's badge goes into the ice capades with like a trombone case that clearly has a rifle in it gets a pretzel which doesn't have any salt and he's like very he's not happy about now i'm gonna kill this motherfucker twice (laughs) yeah and is like waiting on the catwalk to murder. Okay, a visible plan... catwalk too. You can just look up and see them, which gives the plot point too. Why would he? Why would the plan be to execute him in front of forty thousand witnesses who are mostly children? Yeah, and scar them for life, and po- probably not be able to escape. Like, do you think it was part of the? the buy to be like we got to kill the rhino and we got to kill him at the ice capades in front of 40,000 children because then people will be clamoring for more giant kid shows and then yeah. you swoop in it's like i think kid shows would just be done if they've like we, we, we learned from the smoochie incidents in rainbow randolph we, let's just be done with this for a little while <laughs> go back to cartoons i thought it was gonna be more of a it would send a message to whoever was gonna inevitably replace smoochie that like you don't play ball <laughs> You get fucking executed in front of a stadium front of people. So the answer, of course, is capitalism. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what a nightmare. Even before the murdering thing, what a nightmare kids show. So they do do like uh, Angela's ashes. Like we're in Ireland and we're coming to the America. And then there are Nazi flags. Once again, <laughs> the these show, parents right. just having to explain what Nazis are to their kids. Well, you see, Smoochie, we thought we were, he was a Nazi for a couple of days. And, What's uh, a Nazi, though? Mom? Well, you see, it's these guys that hang out in uh, old farming equipment warehouses. <laughs> uh-huh. I like farming equipment. Can I be a Nazi? Well, the, the, the police, you got to wait till you're bigger. <laughs> Mom said I could be whatever I want when I grow up. I'm going to be a Nazi. <laughs> I'm going to be a Rhinette. Okay. <laughs> and scene. And um, So... So uh, Rainbow Randolph finds out the plan. He calls Angelo, finds out the plan, um, saves the day, right? Wrestles with Buggy, drops him off of the scaffolding. He never saw Venice. I never saw Venice. (laughs) I never saw Venice. Great. I never saw Venice. Really, really great moment. (laughs) And those kids are scarred for life. And the camera angle as if he's on a frozen pond as well. I'm like, that is not underneath an ice rink. I don't think. Body (laughs) just like drops, liquefies as it hits the ground. That uh, I never saw Venice followed up by Robin Williams, the great line where the cops like, are you okay? And he's like, I don't know. I'm pretty fucked up in general. So it's hard to gauge. (laughs) So good. Really, really good. And then there's like a big dance number. The end, right? It's the song from Ghostbusters 2, and <laughs> and Rainbow Randolph and, and Smoochie have, like, joined forces on a show. Well, we do we do have the um, the, the chase where, where Ed Norton chases Danny DeVito. Oh, true. Yeah, and, uh, he, and he has the fucking the Harvey Dent moment. Yes. Yeah, he has the Harvey Dent moment. Yes. 
I have to say, fucking, yeah. during that chase scene, I, I was laughing hysterically. There's a It cuts to, like, this one... After they're out of the crowd, because everybody's running from the gunshot, I think, there's this great overhead shot where Danny DeVito and Ed Norton run through, like, a construction site, and Danny DeVito knocks over a singular traffic cone to try and slow Ed Amazing. Norton down. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> when did the skates come off? Because I don't know if those things were retractable. I don't know how he got he got after him so quick. No, have you ever seen that uh, scene in uh, Blades of Glory? They can just run the whole way. <laughs> He's going to slice his neck with it. Or that scene in the Arnold Schwarzenegger classic Batman and Robin where they click their heels together oh, and the yes, ice skates yes. come out. Oh, God, that's I fucking blacked that out, but that's have it didn't it <laughs> so i did I find a four pack of blu-rays in the in the movie they uh they didn't show they kind of left it you know implied that uh john stewart and danny devito get killed but apparently there's a deleted scene where it shows tommy and the goons murdering them sick how'd they do it oh no kidding uh, gunshots so like oh, execution style yeah so i mean i guess they had to cut something it wasn't like the uh the harvey firestein death scene yeah, in i was any gonna way. say if you're gonna cut harvey firestein's balls off with an axe or his head off or something like that <laughs> come on man don't push you out on this one you got it you got to go i think that that's why they cut it is because you got to go bigger than axe <laughs> yeah yeah and they never told a... us what they played with it we they, i was i was like basketball <laughs> soccer <laughs> they're irish it's gotta be soccer yeah high lie tetherball yeah high <laughs> And then we get our big, uh, that crazy over-the-top dance number with uh, with the three main characters at the end. Catherine Keener even shows so up. When she rolls out, yeah, when you're just like, all right, I'll see what we're doing. This is not a real show. This is it. We've all died. This is, have, this is our, our last really, images we're going to see. I've really liked Catherine Keener in this movie. Like I, yeah, I, I like, like Catherine Keener general. generally. Like she's she's funny. She played the you know she played the the role very well. I, yep. I don't have many notes on her. I think she's just generally kind of great in everything she's in. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a um, there is only that scene where she gets like slut shamed a little bit, and he and he immediately like forgives for not that she needs anything to be forgiven about, but he immediately like drops the idea that that she's mm. somehow bad for sleeping with all these characters, and yeah, that's the end of the movie. Just a real feel good, <laughs> real feel good time. There is a, I think in like their last scene, before the dance scene, like Ed Norton and Catherine Keener are embracing each other, and there's a marquee behind them that says, Rainbow Randolph, paranoid lunatic with a heart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I dig that little background stuff. He's been, he's been forgiven, so what happens next, yeah, it can make sense. So apparently, according to IMDb, there's a, uh, when, when Nora uh, talks to Sheldon in the uh, hot dog shop, she calls him Ed. Oh, for real? okay. Yeah. Which is also one of my favorite moments from um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a movie that Matt and I also saw together. Ooh, yes. Um, so during the parade scene, do you know that this is like totally off topic? Cut this out of the podcast if you see fit. <laughs> um, do you know Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless oh, Mind? Oh, yeah. Well? I haven't seen it in a while, but I, I loved it when I saw it. So there's a scene where they come, acro- come a- across a parade in New York City. Okay. Um, and there's like an elephant walking down the street, and um, that she's was on that his was shoulders, I believe, right? Yeah, she's on his shoulders, and then she disappears from the scene. Yeah. So the that was that was kind of a happy accident. They didn't know that that was going to happen. They saw the thing, the parade, and so they just kind of took a camera and went gorilla. And so in the scene, or as they were shooting it, um, Michelle Gondry just grabbed Kate Winslet and like yanked her not yanked her but like kind of removed her from the shot so that joel would look over and see that 
Clementine was missing. And when Jim Carrey does that, he like looks over and to where she was supposed to be and sees that she's gone. You can see him yell, Kate. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is, I think, like, makes that scene a little bit, just a tiny bit more beautiful to me. I don't know. I love sure. that movie. Sure. <laughs> I think they think in Star Wars that uh, they, they yell, Carrie, Luke Skywalker yells, Carrie, when he's yeah. running to them after blowing up the uh, Death Star. Yeah, that was in the re-release that they put at, was like the, the like the special edition or some shit, that they re-released it in theaters in the, was mm-hmm. like the 90s. In 97, like, yeah. 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 And now he says, sis, it's weird. We're like, whoa, 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 no, no, he doesn't know yet. <laughs> just, just, call him a clunky if you have to. Clunky. It turns out, with the, once again, according to the IMDb, as Sheldon runs off, the ice to chase after Burke Bennett. He's wearing hockey skates in the theatrical film. It seems like the skates disappear by magic, but the DVD shows him removing the skates and a deleted scene. Okay. So there you go. There you go. There you go. I was just worried about the racist deleted scenes. I thought I was coming in. I guess I didn't, (laughs) I didn't pay attention to any other ones. I own this on DVD and I'm sure I've seen the deleted scenes, but I have no recollection of that. (laughs) I just love that Matt's like pouring over the deleted scenes being like, (laughs) <laughs> scene where Ed Norton takes off ice skates. <laughs> so right on. Yeah, that was Death to Smoochie. Any any uh, f- other thoughts on it? Still funny. Still- <laughs> I mean, it's it's stupid as balls, but like it's it's the dumbest smart movie I've seen in terms yeah. of the like the jokes it's like the reasons why it's funny. Some of it are just like it's just there's nothing more to it than like just a very like it's there's wouldn't it be funny if you had a dick-shaped cookie in front of children and there's, on there's live nothing, tv yeah yeah there's nothing intelligent about that joke it's funny it's a dick joke it's a dick joke but it works on a lot of different levels because of everything else that's going on in it so it's like it's that's why i say it's the smartest dumb movie you'll ever see yeah. right how, how dirty and violent can a movie about children's television be let's find out i, I think right. that was the pitch right is that's the exact pitch yep like, we're going to do this super fucked up. So uh, this was in between Robin Williams in One Hour Photo and Robin Williams in Insomnia, two movies where he decidedly does not do any voices. Okay. And so I think that this get like this allows him to be like really just like as big as he wants to be. This is the valve. Yeah, it's a release yeah. if he's going to act like a, a serious guy working at a Photoshop. R.I.P. Robin Williams, man. Mm-hmm. It's like, I need to spin around and be in a hat. Give me a jacket and poo. <laughs> and ask, let me say whatever. Um, yeah, R.I.P. Robin Williams, indeed. Um, indeed. The one of the best that's ever lived. What's your favorite Robin Williams movie? Everybody, is it mm. this, Matt? <laughs> favorite comedic performance? Uh, any probably. any performance? Uh, I want to say Popeye, but I might. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I I love him in Goodwill Hunting. I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean that's his Oscar. It's well, I mean, it's I think that's objectively his his best work. But for a guy that was so multifaceted it's hard to say which is why i said like famous comedic or best comedic performance because you could really categorize them in several different ways and and they're all brilliant in their own regard but they're just very very different so yeah that's a tough one well fine i'll just go fuck myself then (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh like we mentioned earlier uh and i've been saying this whole i guess whenever we do directors for series on cinemodities and I say whenever, even though this is the second time we've done a director, the first being Paul Bartel. Uh, even though we don't cover all of their movies, I do watch them all, chronological order, and I always give a little uh, talk about them. So I did watch Duplex. Uh, if anybody doesn't, doesn't yeah. know, it's a, a young couple, Ben Stiller and Drew Barrymore. They move into this duplex, but the upper floor is rented by an elderly woman who's there under rent control. And 
she's just terrible and makes their life hell, so they try and, like, kill her to get the rest of the apartment. Um, this movie is a horrific mess, I think. <laughs> uh, a lot of it is dumb, cliche, predictable. At 89 minutes, it felt unbearable. And I think my thoughts on it were every moment where I wasn't groaning at how dumb a joke was, I was frustrated by what was going on in the movie. <laughs> so five stars would recommend is what I'm hearing. <laughs> I have uh, to see it now. I don't, I've never okay. even heard Here's of Here's the thing. That sounds like that should be a deterrent. That I'm like a moth to a flame. Because yeah, like, if something it. is yeah, that, yeah, is yeah. it like, is it a seeing is believing type situation where it's like, how did this all go so wrong? Or is it like not even that? Some of it is because um, some of it's just like baffling. Some of them is really like cliche nonsense. But some of it is like, oh my God, how did they think this could work? Um, there was some good stuff in it. Like Wallace Shawn is in it for a little bit. <laughs> And uh, like Justin, Justin Thoreau him. is in it, did. and uh, Robert Wisdom, the guy who plays Bunny Colvin from The Wire, is there as a cop in it. And I'm just yes. like, oh, okay. <laughs> a young Maya Rudolph, Swoozy Kurtz, Justin Thoreau, Harvey Firestein, Drew Barrymore, yes. Ben Stiller. Eileen Essel plays the old lady. Yep. And she was in... That, that's the lady from The Goonies? No, who's that? No, that's Mama. And, from yeah, yeah and Ramsey, yep. I think I'm just getting her and Danny DeVito confused. Yeah, well, he also directed Throw Mama from the Train. Yep. Yeah. Well, Rob, quick question. So yeah. since you, you've you watched all of these Stan and DeVito movies for this, in terms of what you've been... Because admittedly, like, a lot of the movies that he has directed, like, when I was looking over and was like, oh, I didn't know he directed all these. Most of them I have not seen. So in terms of visual style, like, all of the, the directorial hallmarks, how does this compare to those? Or is it all kind of a mishmash? Like, is War of the Roses, like, you mentioned the Frisbee shot, so that's, okay, something that you could maybe tie this kind of same way that Sam Raimi does, like, the Ramacam type situation. Yeah. But, like, is there anything else that you saw from watching Duplex and War of the Roses and all these other movies that you're like, you could watch that movie and be like, that is Dan, I can identify this as Danny DeVito because of X, Y, and Z. I, I definitely think there is a a lot of connections between them in the style, like you said. Um, some of those like weird camera angles, like you mentioned the one with John Stewart from above, yeah. And you know he does he does a lot of that kind of you know. Um, I I didn't read this anywhere, but it makes me think of you know some of the shots that he he composes makes me think of like hearing about like Kubrick with The Shining, where he shot Jack Nicholson in the freezer from every conceivable angle <laughs> and found like the weirdest one. Like I imagine I just picture Danny DeVito doing some of that. Um, I would say in a lot of the the way the movies come across, Danny DeVito has a signature, like, cynical style. A lot mm -hmm. of his movies are very, very cynical, with the exception of Matilda, which is probably the most purely optimistic thing in existence. Oh, my God. I want it to be so cynical, though. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm glad you asked me about that, because uh, since I watched all the movies, and I like to do this with our directors, I do have a ranking from my least favorite to favorite of his seven mm -hmm. feature-length films. So... I'm going to go from seven down to one. Number seven is, no, like, number seven and then miles between the rest of them is Duplex. Duplex is the only wow. one I did not enjoy. Um, number six is his first. It was a TV movie, The Ratings Game. Um, it was available on YouTube at the start of this month, but when I checked the other day, it was no longer on there. What so, is The Ratings Game about? Uh, so Danny DeVito is, like, a loser in, in Hollywood trying to sell his TV shows, and an executive buys one of them. And it's so bad that Danny DeVito, like, hires his, like, mob friends to go into the homes of the Nielsen families and watch his show. And so, like, his pilot beats the World Series, and then he, like, keeps getting these people out of their homes so he, his goons can just watch his shows, and he becomes, like, the most that. successful person in Hollywood. 
That's that's actually kind of a funny idea. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um. It seems yeah. like someone who's trying to do that comes up with when they're high. And you think, oh, <laughs> you know, man, if we could just what get a bunch we... of people, yeah, let's just make that the movie. Okay. Yeah. My family was a fucking Nielsen family for a stretch oh, there, so like right we would have been dragooned out of our house by Danny DeVito, apparently. Yeah, there's a there's a great scene where like to get them out of the house initially, he sends them all on a cruise. And then, like, when he wants to keep the, he wants to keep this, like, ruse going, there's a scene on the cruise ship where Vincent Schiavelli is like, congratulations, everybody, the cruise has been extended another 22 weeks. And there's, like, a, <laughs> there's, like, a mutiny scene, all the people are freaking out. <laughs> so that was my, my number six, the ratings game. Uh, number five is Throw Mama from the Train, which we did an episode on. How dare you? Oh, that's that movie, there's parts of it that I did not enjoy, but it was pretty funny. And Ramsey's the best thing about that movie. Yeah. Here's the thing. Yeah. Death of Smooch is getting dangerously close to the middle to the high middle here for a movie that got like 45 on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so I have to say, my number four is Death to Smoochie. Okay. Okay. De- 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 Just right you know? in the middle. Right yep, in the middle. Yep. Right, right in the, in the meaty part of the curve there. I think the, uh, the biggest shock for me and for everybody else who's ever seen it, um, my number three is Hoffa. I actually thoroughly enjoyed Hoffa. <laughs> Yeah, I have I I have seen Hoffa. It is so long. I I was dreading the length. I guess I think it's two twenty. And it, yeah. I actually like I loved how oh, that's the Jack Nicholson uh, Hoffa, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, okay. yeah. Like there is there is even for like a biopic, it is so matter of fact. And like there's a great scene where it's like Hoffa and Robert Kennedy at like the congressional hearings, and the dialogue is just the congressional hearing transcripts. Like they didn't write new dialogue. It is so matter of fact. I loved it. That that is truly the like anomaly among his his other films because it's like there's not a stitch of humor in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember it being good. It's definitely the better Hoffa movie compared to The Irishman. Which I have I not hate. seen that. Yeah. Why are movies involving Jimmy Hoffa like nine hours long? Like, was the dude <laughs> that fucking interesting? Was he? I don't know anything about him. I know there, there's been so many more important figures. It's just because no one knows where he is, where he's, where he's, where he's, he's in buried. a giant stadium or whatever. He's in a swamp or in a car or whatever. They try to. Fucking... That's a big mystery. But yeah, we don't need to know the entire state of the world. We know what the '60s were in the Dude, '70s. You know, people go missing all the fucking time. Like, come on, it's the Teamsters. It's so interesting. <laughs> And it feels like they have to beat that into us. Like, no, no, no. You don't understand how important Jimmy Hoffa was. You don't understand. It's like, we don't care. He has no effect on me. He'll never. But they're like, no, you have. It's like, I don't. Okay. It's it's a series of escalating dares. Like, I bet that I can get turn Jimmy Hoffa into a fucking miniseries now. 15 hours on Jimmy fucking Hoffa. Um. Uh, he's played by Jack Nicholson in the in in Hoff in the Danny DeVito Hoffa, which is yep. like far 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 better than oh god yes than an ancient than P- Pacino. Pacino okay Ugh. yeah pro very pro Hoffa yeah <laughs> so that was my number three uh, my number two The War of the Roses I've loved that oh, yeah. movie for a long time and I still love it but after rewatching it I had to give number one to Matilda I recommend like I did last week I recommend everybody check it out I think it is a perfect movie and a masterpiece it's amazing Oh wow! Okay, I've never I, seen it. I have never seen it either. I need to need to do it. I guess it's been a long time. Isn't it about Danny DeVito and a like a young his young daughter in the city in New York or something? I really don't have much memory. No, of it it's all. more in the it's more in the suburbs. But it's based on a Roald Dahl novel where like Matilda is a very smart young girl, but she's treated poorly by like every adult in her life, and she like develops telekinetic powers and yeah, like, tries right? to help her life out. Yeah. Okay. 
I think I read the book as like a very young child. Oh, right on. It is great. So those, those are my Danny DeVito rankings. And I haven't mentioned this on any of the other episodes in this series because I didn't find out about it until like just last night. Um, when I was looking at the IMDb for Duplex, there's that crazy credits section. And it's like it says that there's special thanks to Ramus Yazoo. And I'm like, who's Ramus Yazoo? And I have could find no information on who Ramus Yazoo is, but he appears in the credits of every single Danny DeVito movie except Throw Mama from the Train. So they had a falling out? <laughs> <laughs> well, Throw Mama from the Train was his first theatrical film. Right. And so it, he, like, brought him back in. The, even the ratings game, he's in the special thanks section. He's in the, uh, the acknowledgments in War of the Roses and Hoffa. And I'm just like, I, I wish I knew more. So, Danny DeVito, we know you listen to this podcast. Come on yeah. and uh, let us ask you. <laughs> Friend of the show. Friend of the pod. Yeah, check those uh, Always <laughs> Sunny credits. He might be popping up in there. Oh, I didn't even think about that yet. I, I uh, have to mention, I also, uh, you can find it on YouTube. I did watch his 2016 short film, Danny DeVito's 2016 short film, Curmudgeons. And it was a, it was a cute little short film. Uh, it's about elderly gay men. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, it was that. it was great. It was, you know, 17 minutes. It works. Danny DeVito's and uh, David Margulies are just, like, screaming at each other for half of it. It's great. <laughs> it's like that uh, Alfred Molina, John Lithgow movie that got all that Oscar attention a couple years ago. Um, have you have you seen or heard of the 2017 uh, movie St. Sebastian? We we talked about it a little bit at the at the in the first episode, because uh, from what I found, it's completed, but I have no, I could find no information on why it's not released. Right. Yeah. So it was shot and completed in 2012 oh, and God. just like has never been released. It apparently played one place at one point in 2017 <laughs> and then like, that's it. But it's got a good cast. It's like about something interesting. Yeah. So I, I hope it comes out. When I started this series, I was hoping like maybe, uh, it would pop out of nowhere so we could do like a bonus episode at the end of this but you know f- fingers crossed we get to see it eventually cuz yeah what it's got like Lance Reddick in it mhm and uh and D'Angelo Barksdale oh, okay right <laughs> right on <laughs> yeah and Danny DeVito in the interviews i've read he speaks very highly of it like the experience making it and i'm just like yeah i would love to see a movie after duplex cuz duplex was such a letdown for his last you know feature length directorial effort I wonder if he's still yeah. got it in him. I don't know. What he, how long has he been doing this? The Has he done any film since it's always sunny started? Because I know it's been on for, what, 15 years, it seems? He's done a bunch of shorts. Yeah. And and he's done voices in movies. Like, he was the voice of the Lorax. He's the Lorax, and, yeah. and, uh, I think oh, it's some yeah, other yeah, animated yeah, That movies. counts. That counts. Then. Well, <laughs> not directed. He didn't direct the Lorax. That would be a different Lorax. Yeah, he's been... Well, I, I've heard he's good in Tim Burton's Dumbo. Like, some people I know liked Dumbo, oh. but I never saw it, so... Oh, but the visual... I never saw it, but I just saw a picture of him in it. Jesus Christ, it's nightmare fuel. <laughs> yeah, I saw yeah, some of it. It good. is really weird. I remember watching the beginning and being, yeah, that, that Uncanny Valley got a little extra. And the hat... <laughs> the hat is too fucking big. <laughs> right no, now. you're not fooling anybody. you <laughs> No, it's just, it's off-putting to look at. Like, it's just, there's something about, like, you just, you can't focus on it for too long, otherwise you'll turn to stone. Like, it's <laughs> right just, on. there's something about it that's just not fucking right. Okay, okay. Um, So, what's who's your next director that you're doing? So, um, we don't have another director lined up, because uh, we kind of throw it all over the place, so I'm not sure. But uh, I guess that's a, a good, I'm glad you bring that up, Aviv, even though I'm not sure if you know we do this. But since this is the end Bada of bing. one series, uh, next month... 
since it's August, we have five Mondays. So definitely check uh, August 15th. There's going to be a bonus episode for Ben Affleck's birthday, which we celebrate every year on Cinemodities. <laughs> and next month we will be doing, um, so I, I believe we've called it uh, High Impact Joked Density. We're doing spoof movies that are like movies where I like to describe you laugh so hard at one joke, you, mix, you miss the next three jokes. So we'll mm-hmm, have things sure. like Airplane in there, uh, High Anxiety. Uh, I, I know anxiety is one of my favorites. I love high anxiety. I know we've been talking about hot shots. Uh, I really want to do Johnny Dangerously with Michael Keaton. I love that movie. <laughs> that that movie has a theme song by Weird Al Yankovic. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, we, uh, we don't know uh, when we're going to hit a director next. Um, I think oh. I mentioned last week I really want to do Henry Selleck one day because it's four amazing Oof. movies. <laughs> Um, okay. I mean, Monkey Bone is not amazing. Monkey Bone is a masterpiece. I don't know what you're talking about. It's a, it's a work of art. <laughs> it's the only movie that I have, and I was, I, funny enough, I was with Aviv, too. Fuck it. It's the yep. only movie that I've, in a theater, I've ever walked out of. Same. Oh, same wow. with me. So I've seen the first, first two-thirds of it and then just walked away. I don't even think we made two-thirds. I, half at best. All right, so we know who's coming back for Monkey Bone whenever that happens. Hell yeah. No, don't, because I don't know anything about the second half of the fucking movie, and I refuse to watch it again. So, so yes, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we have to think of some directors, because I always like when we go through some filmographies. But with that being yeah. said, at the end of our episodes, we always have some questions that we talk about. So now we can go back to uh, in the mindset of death to Smoochie. So, um, since we got some, some new folks on here that might not be aware, I'll break it down nice and easy for all of you. Uh, one of the things we always ask, and there's no, I guess the other thing is, you know, there's no steadfast rules for this stuff. But of course, the first one, this is Cinemodities, which is a portmanteau of cinematic and oddities. And we always like to ask everybody here, well, do you think that Death to Smoochie is a cinemodity? And like I said, there's no steadfast rules, so you can say yes or no with whatever justification. Yes. And I guess I'll start. Yes. Well, okay, well, Aviv, I guess, is going to start <laughs> off with a yes. Oh, I didn't realize. I thought we were just <laughs> jumping in. Oh no, that that's fine. It's a uh, it, it's we're loose and fast enough to break our own rules. So, <laughs> oh, let's, so go, yeah, let's any... go again. Let's go again. Take two. Take two. Take two. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I I guess I'll start it off. Uh, I'm going to go with no because I do think that a lot of the comedy is a little you know even though it's kind of obscure and absurd, I, I don't think it's anything odd to it. I I'm tempted to say it's kind of like a little run of the mill with some slight Danny DeVito cynical twist. That might not be the best description, but not enough to make it fit the bill for a cinemodity for me. So, Aviv, now would you like to explain why you say yes? <laughs> I didn't realize I had to back it up. Um, well, you, so you don't technically have to, but... <laughs> I, do, I do think it's a cinematic oddity for... So, not saying that movies like this didn't get made at the time, but they definitely do not get made now. So. Sure. From everything from the way the story is told, the structure of it is super weird. The camera angles are super weird. They cast John Stewart <laughs> with a Caesar haircut. <laughs> he was still trying to act then, and uh, and Edward Norton like had like a under undercut mushroom cut situation. So from the from the hairstyles to the architecture, the set design, the costumes, the story, the cinematography, the time lapse, uh, everything about this is odd by today's standards fair yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go and back up i, I just think this is a cinemodity i don't uh, yeah i agree you couldn't make this now and even at the time it definitely stood out as something where when it bombed and i saw i was like yeah i get it who, this, who is this for <laughs> this is like it looks like a kid's movie then you take him it's rated r and you're like i don't know i guess robin williams that, that's the only thing getting anyone to see this and yet the, just i mean 
Edward Norton was a huge star. True, and, and but I don't think this was a, a, a movie that anyone wanted to see either of them in this style. Right. So I think that's why, why it failed. But I, I mean, it doesn't take away from it being amazing. It just it was a risk. That's a good point. I mean, I, I don't think it was necessarily. I, this is I'm gonna try to maybe have it both ways on this one. It's a bizarre movie, but it's intentionally bizarre in my mind. Mm. Like it wasn't like okay. someone was tr- like they just were trying to do something different. It didn't work. No, everything that's in there that is odd and makes it look funny or just like plays against type for people and, and again the way that it all again just the, the concept of it in itself i think it was extraordinarily self-aware and therefore all the decisions i think flowed from that basic idea which is why i don't think it's just I, I can understand why it didn't make money i can understand why a lot of people didn't like it but i find everything in it to be intentional so i think it's actually a very thoughtful movie not necessarily an oddity yeah, it definitely wasn't an oddity by accident. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, okay, okay, I dig it. So so with that, the cinemodity, we usually think about that as the classification of the movie. Uh, the other question we ask is, do we consider it a late-night movie? Because, of course, this is late-night movies with Rob and Zach. This is more of the recommendation. Um, the way that I like to think about this, which Zach usually does not think about it as, is I like to say if you have somebody in your clutches, like if you're forcing somebody to watch a movie, would you sh- consider this movie? And I'm... Uh, probably the the nicer thing I usually talk about sometimes too is if you have the chance to show somebody a movie, you know, kind of at night, you know, maybe before you go to bed or something, um, maybe to get some good conversation or good laughs. You know, I, I'm more of a laugh at the movie for this situation. I would go with no because I think there are some laughs, but I don't think there's enough there to really keep a a late night viewing going. But I I did say that after I watched the movie and, and wrote my notes. I think this whole discussion might make me think otherwise because uh, clearly we got some great talk about it. But I think I'm going to go no for late night. Yeah, I'll go no as well. It, maybe if there's a podcast convention and it's playing, I think Wait. that's the only time you'd be able to fill it. Wait, Russ, <laughs> oh, I jumped you. No, I don't oh. care about. I don't care about the turns. <laughs> well, how could you possibly say no? You met your wife. You and your wife's first date was this movie. <laughs> Yeah, true. How could you uh, but- do this movie like that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because we've been married 18. 18- oh, okay, never mind. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I, yeah, but I, I, yeah, I, I see it as that. I don't see this as, I don't know, man. Now you make me feel bad. I want to split the difference. <laughs> Holy shit. Five stars, five stars. Love you, man. Uh, would, would recommend. <laughs> Um, I would say that it's probably not. And it's fun. Russ, similar to you. So uh, I. I get. I this movie. I own it. I've seen it a million times. I I will always watch this movie just because it, it always tends to make me laugh. However, I would not recommend it as a late night movie simply because I watched it fairly within the last year with my wife Cassie, who had not seen it before, and she it, it was not a huge fan of it. So it's like, well, <laughs> it, it it was my attempt at that, and it didn't work. Yeah. So not for the uninitiated ex- kind of thing. Where yeah, personal experience, <laughs> I would say no. Um, I would, I would probably say yes. It is a late night movie because apparently I'm the I fucking am the only stand for this movie now. No, I love the um, movie. I love the movie. I've been raving about the movie. I'm just saying. You, you have I thought he was a simp. It. Russ has forsaken it. Yeah, I'm a simp for this movie. Um, <laughs> I, but so I think it's bizarre enough. So to me, late night movies are um, maybe not ones that you have someone in your clutches, but ones where you're. The, the thing that I feel about late night movies is you're flipping through the channels, you can't quite sleep, and it's something that you watch, and and 
it feels somehow like it wasn't real right like 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 you dreamt this this bizarre like you're kind of half awake and so i think that this is kind of a perfect movie to to watch while teetering on the edge of sleep either with someone else or by yourself because it is so bizarre and it is so the camera angles are so weird that it it feels kind of dreamlike to me in that way okay okay i dig it i dig it so yes, so with that out of the way, then we get to uh, the, the true meaning of why we're podcasting. How can we use this movie and this discussion to better the Cinemodities restaurant? So I think when I emailed Matt about this, I didn't want to give anything away about our completely real restaurant that is an infinite void of space. And uh, it's so big that some people get trapped in there, can't find their way out. I think I described it to you, Matt, as you can pitch anything. Imagine you have a restaurant with unlimited space and unlimited resources. Oh, God. So I think the, the first thing that came to mind for this movie, of course, would be a menu item, maybe the, the smoochy dish or something like that. Soy hot dogs in gluten-free <laughs> buns, topped with spirulina with a little bit of almond butter, served with orange juice mixed with liquid alfalfa. I'm going to need that spirulina <laughs> on the side. That uh, <laughs> It's a little too wild for me. Yeah, that stuff looks nasty. I got a pitch for the restaurant. Um, okay. So you're always trying to get kids in there. I don't know if you're ensnared. I'm going to work there. But we, we do have a, a kids portion of the restaurant. It's called the Sin E Modities, like Chuck E. Cheeses, but Sin E Modities. <laughs> no, E stands for entertainment. <laughs> we do have a place to, like, shovel the kids in. Well, you know? if you're trying to shovel more in, and, uh, I mean, what's the one thing when restaurants do a kids eat free? What are these kids? They're a bunch of mooches. So you do a moochie Monday where kids eat free, <laughs> and, yeah, then you can serve them the, whatever, all that stuff that Edward Norton tried to sell them at the thing, the, the They'll get a pretzel with no salt. That's your moochie, moochie Mondays is just for kids, and it's not anything they would want to eat. So they're going to end up ordering off grilled oh, cheese okay. off the menu anyway. So you, you've tricked them into coming in to begin with. Oh, okay. I like that. I like that. For the, the kids section of the restaurant, I was definitely thinking we needed some, like, kids show host from this movie. <laughs> And I was tempted to say, like, Buggy Ding Dong. We never got to see what his on his stage persona was like, but, you know, we could get him in there, I think, to entertain some children. <laughs> well, I was going to say, how, how much does the feel of this restaurant look like a David Lynch movie? Because if you just had, <laughs> like, if you just had the ice show going in the corner, including the, the fucking murder, or, like, the guy falling off the thing, and you just had that on loop, but in the kids' section to just really make everyone uncomfortable that could work really well if that's what you were going for but if I, no, you're looking I, to make like money it. don't do that because <laughs> that will drive people away like you wouldn't believe and I, I would say if you're attaching your kid section to this film you better be ready to renovate every two or three months because one day you're gonna have a moochie woodland setup then you might have to put the big rainbow back in the kids room <laughs> so don't let them sponsor this because it's gonna be all construction yeah what does buggy ding dong set look like <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, I would say so. This is less of a food thing and more of an entertainment thing. Sure. Um, I think that you you hire yourself a punch drunk punch drunk boxer, goes table to table, playing the cowbell and doing the jiggy ziggy. Okay, dance. okay, I like that because that fits in well. I, I don't think Aviv knows we do have a a lot of walk around characters in the restaurant. Oh, okay. <laughs> Some NPCs. This is like this is like Pulp Fiction essentially. Like is that <laughs> yes, Elvis? Yes. No, is that Marilyn? Is that Spinner? Yes, that's Spinner. No, that's Rocky. Oh. Add on to the likes of, I know we have like a, a Nelson De La Rosa character punching people in the nuts from uh, uh, Lost Soul, The Doom Journey of Richard Stanley's Island, Dr. Moreau. One uh, of my all-time favorite documentaries. I watch oh, that every year's day. That's a great documentary. Day. That oh, is yeah. a great fucking documentary. 
I know we have uh, we have like animatronics in the restaurant that like sing and dance on certain stages, but at the same time we have Harrison Ford running around as his character from Blade Runner trying to kill the animatronics. So Spinner fits right in; it's perfect. <laughs> so he's got his cowbell, and he uh, he'll always think he is an animatronic if he can just stand up there because he gets very shy. If the camera's on him, he'll stand very still, so you can keep him in one spot. <laughs> right on, right on. Uh, and I think the the other thing I wanted to pitch, very much like the the line of products that Smoochie and Rainbow Randolph had, uh, we do have a gift shop in the restaurant, but we haven't like sold things like Cinemodities shampoo, Cinemodities floor wax, Cinemodities all purpose bleach. Like, let's get some of that in there. <laughs> oh, can I make a suggestion? Yeah, can you make the uh, the dick shaped cookies and have them pre wrapped. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect. I like it. Call them the Rumble Chips. with juice with, for an energy boost. Yeah, It's like yep. at those water parks where everyone's waiting for that big bucket to fill up. You'll have a cookie <laughs> thing slowly filling, and the kids <laughs> wait under it, and it starts smoking, and then they're just doused with penis cookies. <laughs> Perfect. You guys are getting it. That's exactly <laughs> what we're going for at the restaurant here. <laughs> Can you have the Rynettes running around, too? Just, just <laughs> yeah, with no destination. On, just on roller around. skates. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the uh, this is all perfect. One of the probably one of the many mottos we have, and probably the main motto of the restaurant is uh, no liability. So perfect. <laughs> oh, there you go. Perfect. Love it. All right. So with all that out of the way, now it is time. I will throw it over to these uh, these first timers on Cinemodities. You get to pitch everything you want. I'm actually very excited because the other people we have on here usually don't have stuff to pitch. Like last week with Justin, he pitched his chess.com username and asked for people to play him. But there's some podcasts and other things I think we're going to hear about. So uh, since I started with Russ earlier, Matt and Aviv, or just Aviv, or just Matt, how do you want to throw this at us? Go for it. What? Matthew? Uh, so we uh, – so thank, uh, first off, Rob, thank you so much for having us on. We really appreciated this. We had a lot of fun. You can also check out, uh, for listeners of this podcast, Rob was a guest on our podcast, which is a Special Viewing Unit. Uh, you can get it wherever fine podcasts are sold. Uh, we recently, and which Rob was a part of, uh, underwent a, a fun gimmick, which we referred to as the Descent into Madness. Well, first off, our podcast is we watch and review – we watch in review every episode of Law and Order Special Victims Unit in a row from the beginning. Uh, we just started season seven. Rob, you were on an episode where we were rounding out season six, and it was part of our Descent into Madness series where Aviv and I, for a span of 24 hours, we stayed up for 24 hours, watched an episode of SVU, recorded the podcast, and then as soon as that was done, watched the next episode in sequence, and we did this for 24 straight hours. Rob, I believe you came on at the... You were the fifth episode, so we were about nine o'clock hour. Yeah, it was. It was later. Than, I don't remember what time. Yeah, it was, I think but it we was started a little after ten in Colorado time. And I remember you emailing me, and you were like, "Are you good to go that late?" And I'm like, "Yes, I need to do this." <laughs> yeah, we went so till, uh, we went till one in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a long but really fun episode. So check that out, guys, uh, and also check out our show just generally. Uh, we have a Twitter handle at SVU Podcast, which Aviv. I have to stress is the official podcast. Uh, the official Twitter handle of Law and Order Special Victims Unit. And, and you, you can, can take, take that. that to the bank center. The blood, the blood bank. bank. I always love having people who like Law and Order on here because a lot of people don't. And I think <laughs> I mentioned that in the episode on your, on your uh, podcast that I'm on. Where it's always Rob, I don't remember half the shit that happened <laughs> yeah. that night. It just was all a blur. <laughs> I, 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 will, I, will echo, I will echo Matt's plug. You can listen to our show, Law & Order Special Viewing Unit. Um, we also have little like splinter series. So we do a Steven Seagal Sunday series, which seems to be kind of similar to the Cinemodities idea, um, as well as Take 
down theater, lift up theater, where we just talk about movies that we like. Um, and I'm in a band. We're called Jacob the Horse. We're releasing a record soon. The end. Oh, and don't forget, yeah, I've seen that. Oh, yeah. I also host another <laughs> podcast with my lovely girlfriend, Leanne. Uh, it's called Yeah, I've Seen That. And it's where people come on uh, and describe the plots of famous movies that they've never seen. Listen to our next episode, which may or may not be me talking about The Notebook. Ooh, okay. Man, I'm glad you reminded him of that. That's what I was getting at with the just a Vive or just Matt type of thing. I literally yeah, we forgot. Had something yeah. that wasn't the SVU, so, so perfect. We got it all in there. And, and Russ, where can we hear you? Uh, you can check out my podcast, Unbelievers Podcast, Paranormal Comedy Show. We just did an episode on Haunted Dolls, uh, uh, Unbelievers Pod on Twitter, and uh, Twitch stream, uh, Unbelievers, twitch.tv slash Unbelievers Podcast. Oh. We do uh, a stream every Friday night where we watch a bunch of paranormal videos and, and talk about them and laugh at them and have a good time. So go check that out, too. And thank you for having me, and it was very nice to meet you, yes. uh, Matt and Aviv. Yeah, yeah it's nice yeah, to it meet you, nice, too. Nice Russ. meeting you, Russ, and thank you very much, Rob, for having us on. This went about as as well as I thought it would, which was just us yelling at each other about something <laughs> for two and a half hours. Primo podcasting. No, thank you all for being here. Uh, we hope that one day in the future we can have you back. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever get a perfect storm of all the three of you loving this one movie. <laughs> but no. but I'll, I'll take what I can get. Uh, and then the last thing to say, uh, of course, whenever we end Cinemodities, we always play some music that is related to the movie in some way in reverse. And I usually take a pretty uh, unilateral hand at this, and I think we have to play Malambo Number no. 1 by Ema Sumac in reverse, because that song sounds so crazy forwards that it should sound even crazier in reverse. So uh, <laughs> if there's any All dissenting right. opinions, keep Dissent. them to yourselves. <laughs> dissenting. My stepdad's not mean, he's just adjusting. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to do a, like a medley, because that, that one is, is also might be too good to pass up. <laughs> I was hoping it was Pop Goes a Weasel, but go on. <laughs> But yes, thank you all, and uh, until next week when we start a new series, thanks to these podcasters for being uh, pros and going through with this extravaganza. Oh, thank you, man. Wow, 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 wow,